0: And welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with psychic medium Stephanie Burke. Matt Moniz, science advisor, not here tonight. He's out in I don't know what's it Western Massachusetts, Central. I don't know what uh, far friend. Western Massachusetts. He's out there at uh, you know where the UFO park is, the yep. UFO Monument Park. He's out there with our friend Tom Reed. They're they're out there for a wedding.
1: Are they really?
0: Yeah. But they also have the launch of the UFO Monument Park beer. So, Tom told me about this a while back. He actually invited me to go out to this uh, wedding too, but I, I, you know, had other things going on, so I couldn't make it.
1: Is it his wedding?
0: No, I, I think he oh. is officiating the wedding. Oh,
1: that's fancy.
0: I think somebody wanted to get married at the park and they asked him to officiate it. So, uh, they are going to have, I guess, the launch of this beer. So I was, you know, hoping that since I couldn't make it out, Moniz might bring me one back, Uh, but I don't know.
1: I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that's very, very doubtful. He
0: might intend to, but it just won't ever make it to me. It's not going to make it here, no. It could actually, like, just sit in his house for 10 years. You
1: know, it could be like the Spooky South Coast banner.
0: How long... Yes, the banner is somewhere in Florida. We have no (laughs) idea where it is. And then uh, also... Many years ago, I think in the year one of the program, maybe year two, there was a DVD that came out, Dan Aykroyd on UFOs, and I got the DVD delivered to me in the mail, and I watched it, and uh, Matt Costa watched it, and then Matt Moniz borrowed it, and we never saw it again. Shocker. We had, so Moniz has this tendency to do this thing where you lend him something, and... He will lend that thing out to other people I have heard this Not a very good thing to do When somebody lends you something
1: But you want to know what's funny? What's that? The irony of this entire situation Is I'm pretty sure he lent me a book Probably about 10 years ago And I still have it in my possession So I
0: So you are a Moniz
1: I have Moniz'd Moniz
0: (laughs) (laughs) Moniz is a verb Just as much as it is a proper noun Uh, so the, you know, the Dan Aykroyd on UFOs DVD, it might just make an an appearance, a reappearance someday now that I've put it out there into the universe.
1: You might. AKA
0: somebody's going to tell him that I said it. Probably. He might even be listening. He might be like, that DVD has been sitting on my counter for 15 years with a note, bring this back to Tim. And I've just forgotten to do it.
1: No, probably not.
0: What's funny is that everything that's in that DVD will now be outdated because, you know, they're going to make the big reveal at the end of this month about everything that we know about UFOs, apparently, so. Supposedly. Allegedly. Speaking, speaking of UFOs. Must we? Well, I was abducted by aliens last night. What? I think I might have been. What? I mean, I'm strongly leaning toward. Okay, listen. I might have been abducted by aliens Stop last right night.
1: There. Stop right there. You and I have been best friends for 10 years more at this point. I come in here at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night to meet you, to do this show, and you are just now telling me publicly that you think you've been abducted by aliens, and you have not told me previous, and you have dragged me here in your presence, which means I am now exposed to potentially being abducted. So too.
0: Let, me, let me tell you what happened.
1: I'm not okay with this.
0: So last night- You're fired. Or early this morning, I guess we'd say, I woke up from a dream. Uh huh. And in this dream, let me just describe the dream as much as I can remember, and it's going to get weird. Oh, good. Can't but wait. you know, you've heard plenty about my different dreams, but this one, this one was strange. Uh, so I was in a house, and as you know, every time I dream, my house in my dream is never my house. Mm-hmm. It's never any house that I've lived in. Sometimes it might be a warped version of an old house that I lived in, but because uh, I moved around a lot as a kid. But you know, I'm never in my house. House, but in the dream, this was my house, and there were two people outside. And I want to say, as weird as this is, it was the two brothers from Supernatural.
1: I mean, I'd be okay with
0: that. I've never watched Supernatural though. It's good. I'm aware. I'm aware of yeah. you know who they are, but I've never watched it. So it's the two brothers from Supernatural, I think, or or some kind of twisted version of them. Mm-hmm. And they are outside my house, trying to get me. Like they are there to grab me and take me away. Okay. And I am trying to resist this. At first, I'm trying to hide within the house just to avoid any kind of confrontation. Uh, then they kind of are calling me out knowing that I'm in the house. And so I can't really hide anymore. So then I get confrontational and I'm like, I'm not going with you. Blah, 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 And so I actually escape out of there. I get into another house. Um, and they are following me and like, no matter where I go, I can't escape them. And they just keep saying that I'm going with them, that they're taking me. And that's, you know, it's kind of the, we can do it the easy way or the hard way type mm-hmm. conversation. And, At one point, so I had my gun on me, or I had it, like, I had taken it from my house. And at one point, I went into the house, you know, the other house that I went into, and there was another gun on the counter. And it was almost like it was left there for me to use. So I'm like, okay, there's no way these guys are getting me now. I've got two guns. This is a life or death situation, I feel like, so I have to utilize those guns. So... When they start coming into the house that I'm now in, I open fire and the bullets just absorb into them. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't, they didn't leave a hole. They didn't bounce off them. They just absorbed into them. And then I was like, ah, crap. And all I know from that point on is that like, I kind of just remember them grabbing me and that's it. That's not freaky.
1: That's not okay. That is not okay.
0: <laughs> All right, I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna put this on pause for a moment. Uh, do you want to take my keys and so that you can get back into that second door? Yeah. So I, can it, right? I will. I will pause that until you come back, because I don't want you to miss any details of this dream. But this is not. You know, I had a lot of dreams when I was younger about being chased. Uh, sometimes. It would be people that I know that were chasing me. Sometimes it would be creatures. Uh, there was a dream that I would have that was a, a recurring dream where I would be in like a, a, a high-rise building that had no window. Like it had windows, but there was no glass in the windows. And outside would be like a Godzilla-type creature, like looking in. And I had to try to stay like a floor ahead of it or a floor below it so it wouldn't see me. Uh, which Moniz, you know, told me was like kind of classic... Abduction type dream Uh, So then It's not uncommon for me to have these dreams Of being chased by someone But I woke up from this dream Kind of just like shocked And Felt immediately When I woke up That this has been a dream that I've had before It's a recurring dream And that It meant that I was taken And I got out of bed And I probably slept about seven or eight hours, which is, you know, long for me. But I got out of bed and I just felt like I had had the crap beat out of me. Like I was just tired and sore and I've been exhausted all day and I couldn't keep my eyes open. So, you know, if Moniz was here, he would be like, yeah, you were abducted by aliens last night. But
1: that's Moniz's. Everything, anything. If you sneeze the wrong way, you were abducted by aliens and probably probed at the same time. So,
0: luckily, I don't feel like I was probed in any way, or at least not in an uncomfortable way. You know? Wow. So. Wow. Like, okay. like there's there's the plus side so to it. So you might but- have
1: been probed, but it might have been enjoyable.
0: No, no, no. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I was. If I was probed and prodded, it was not in an area where it would have been un- You know what I mean? Like they, like they, I think they kept everything from the waist up.
1: Well, okay, all right. Um,
0: but I certainly just felt beat up and sore. And then I'm, I'm being partially facetious. Like I don't think that I was abducted by aliens, but uh-huh. it certainly f- felt that way from the dream. Like when I woke up and I said, like, oh my god, I was taken, and this is a recurring dream. This has happened before, which. We've had that discussion, Moniz and I, and I've talked a little bit about it on this show and on Midnight right. Society, where I do feel like I've had experiences that kind of line up with what people will feel, but I don't I don't honestly think that I was ever taken anywhere.
1: God, I hope not.
0: So, anyway, moving on, I just wanted to, you know... Lay that on you right well, at the t- yeah. start of the show You have to
1: do that to me, you have to talk about this dream You're wearing an alien shirt
0: I am, it's a nice Parabox shirt
1: This is the first time I've been back in the studio since, I don't know, wintertime? And this is how you welcome me back
0: I just figured I'd get it out of the way early so that you would forget about it by the time you left and went home later
1: No, I'm going to have nightmares
0: Or like. you're driving home alone Exactly and Seeing the lights in the sky
1: Thunder's booming, things yes. are crazy, pouring rain and I just lose track of three hours and then end up in my driveway No
0: and, and I will introduce our guest in a bit, but I just want to ask you a question mm-hmm. because it is the first time that you've been back. You missed last week's program uh, where we had a tribute to Leanne Wilber, uh, the longtime manager and former part owner of the Lizzie Boyd and Bed and Breakfast. So I I wanted to give you a, an opportunity to, you know, kind of share any memories or thoughts of Leanne if, if you feel emotionally able to do so.
1: Um, you know, I don't know if I am emotionally able to do that. I thought... You know I had to miss the show last week because of um, you know family circumstances but uh, I kind of thought in a way I was I was able to get out of having to publicly speak about that because it's not an easy thing to do um, but you know I did post on my my Facebook page as best as I could and I had a tar- hard time doing that um, I think you know the night we had found out I went back and forth our Two hours, three hours, like what do I write? How do you how do you put something into words when you unexpectedly lose someone? It's right. hard enough when you expect it. So, um, I mean, I have so many memories of being there.
0: And it's it's one thing, you know, not to interrupt mm-hmm. you, but it's one thing when you are losing someone and it's family and maybe you wanted to put on social media, you know, we experienced this loss, but people don't really ask you to right. dig too much into it. But When it's somebody related to the paranormal world, it's like a tribute is expected.
1: Correct. And, you know, I'm glad that you were able to put something together, and I'm sad that I did have to miss it. But, um, you know, Leanne wasn't just somebody that we did business with. She wasn't someone that we just rented a house from to do an event. Um, Actually, I met Leanne before I met you. I was 19 years old when I met Leanne. And uh, I actually met her on... Uh, my first night on a ride-along with the Fall River Police Department when I was a criminal justice major in college. And we knocked on the door, and she opened it, we went in, and she was already friends with the police that I was with. Um, But that's how I kind of got to know her. And throughout the years, it was, you know, back and forth at the house, and, you know, then we started to do events there. You know, you did events, I attended, then we did events together, and it was... You know, and I thought about it, almost 20 years of knowing her yeah. and, you know, just coming to to know her and to love her as a person, not just the owner of Lizzie Borden's. Um, I know I told you about the time that Max went missing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was gone for a while.
0: Yeah, months.
1: And uh, she had called and said, you know, could you come by and see if you could find out what happened to him? And I did tell her, you know, he's going to come home before I get there, but I can't make it there till Tuesday, and he came home the day before. But I was able to go and visit and, and hang out. And, you know, I loved little things. Um, my, some of my favorite memories with her was little things like that, like just being able to go and visit. Or, you know, if something spooky happened in the middle of the night, she'd call all of us, and mm-hmm. we'd go and we'd explore it. One of my favorite memories when we were – I can't remember why we were there. We were standing out in the driveway, and we had locked up for the night, and all of a sudden, the lights started popping on. Mm-hmm. And we'd go in, we'd shut them off, we'd come back out, and they pop on again.
0: And the, we, when you think about all the times that you spent there, you know, and it, it was, yeah, you'd go there for paranormal reasons, but there right. were times that you went there just to hang to out to with Lance, okay. where, you know, you, we, I know that there were times that I'd been passing through, and... Uh, you know, maybe I had some extra food, some extra pizza, right. just stop in, see if anybody wanted any. Uh, there's been more than a few times that I popped in just to use the restroom <laughs> because it's either there or McDonald's. Right. And <laughs> we were actually outside of yes. it last week, and I ended up having to go to McDonald's because I can't just go into the house anymore and use the restroom. So, and
1: as we're pulling into McDonald's, I like, go, oh, Hey, Tim, he's like, What? Like, people got killed here. <laughs>
0: That's every McDonald's. It is what what it is.
1: I got to pee after what? It was like an eight-hour drive that we had taken.
0: Yeah, which you know we we still can't talk about. But in a totally unrelated note, Uh I got all of the Amityville sequel books uh, in the mail this week.
1: I saw that you posted about those.
0: Yeah, I had always thought about buying them, but I'd heard that they were kind of garbage.
1: You did say that too.
0: So I was like, well, I started. I started the second one. I'm about a quarter of the way through, Uh, and. It just reads like a like a horror novel from the late 70s early 80s yeah. uh, and I, and of course none of it's really true but it's still you know gonna be fun to read so something to sit on the porch with a beer and there you, go. you know read over the summer well again if you missed our tribute to Leanne Wilbur last week uh, you can check it out it's on all of the podcast platforms and we put it up on YouTube as well so you can listen to it there and
1: were you able to talk about my favorite memory of her?
0: Which one?
1: The uh the catfish.
0: No, I we didn't talk about you didn't that. Did not talk about that? No. I don't I don't think we did. But okay, let's 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 bring in Aaron Cadu, who is our <laughs> our
2: guest co host tonight. Hello. Uh, I'm early, so I, I didn't think I'd get here this early. Yeah, so, that was totally yeah. fine.
1: That's no, okay, totally
0: you scared fine. me. Uh yeah, it was perfect timing. It was right when I got to the part of the dream where I was abducted
2: by aliens and you know, it's even weirder. She
1: the last time I saw Aaron was at a UFO conference.
2: That is true. That's that's correct. Yeah. That's that was that's uh, horrible. <laughs> that was in April of nineteen. Nineteen. Because yeah. it was the night before the uh, the cooling towers were blown up. That but in is true. That's extent. right.
1: Because you were setting up for that.
2: By the way, I think I own that conference now.
1: I think you do too, and I'm not sure why.
0: Yeah. At the end, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the conference, the organizer, who was a wonderful lady, uh, she gave me. Remember the big, big screen that they had there? She gave that to me. <laughs> So she's like, "You can have that if you want it," and I was like, "Okay." So I'm shoving this giant projection screen in the back of my mm-hmm. Mazda, and uh, and then she said, "And you can have the conference." I was like, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Yeah, I'm not going to do this again. So if you want to put it on, and you know, you can just have the name." And I was like, "Well, you just barely avoided getting sued by the people that created the X Files, so I think I'm good." Yeah. But you got a movie screen now. You yes, can do I do movies in your yacht. Absolutely, something. yeah. I mean that was great. A great bonus to uh to a wonderful weekend. I mean she was uh, she was an awesome host. I mean it was a great uh, great fun. event. But uh you know, not a lot of attendees. I think if she had kept with it and done it for a couple of years it would have grown, but uh yeah, but that was the last and time that we were all hanging out together. On
1: the way home, my brakes went out.
3: Mhm.
0: Yeah, but it oh, was that a was weird horrible. it was a weird weekend. Thank overall. God I
1: wasn't driving my car.
2: I mean I stayed in a hotel that night in Somerset. Because I knew that there was going to be a ton of people going down and watch those cooling towers come down. And I have two young kids. And I was like, yep. if we try to get them out the door and in Somerset by 8 a.m., we'll never make it. No. So, you, so I said, we're staying in the Riverview Suites. You got the right jump. Right here. And it's not the greatest hotel. But
0: <laughs> like
1: the it was you okay.
2: Drive by the, by
0: the way, tonight's edition of Spooky South Coast brought to you by the Riverview Hotel. <laughs> hey, I, I tell it how
2: it is. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: That's why we have you here. Uh, we're, 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 it's what we're going to be talking about tonight. But um, as you know, since since you're you're here, and as we're going to share this story, we'll get kind of your take on this. This might be the first time you've ever heard it. I don't know if we've told you the story already. We
1: haven't really talked about it publicly. Uh,
0: we might have a little bit, um, but years ago, I got a phone call from Leanne, and. She would call with, you know, all the different crazy things that had happened. You know, uh, this show said they're going to come and film. This show said they're going to come and film. And she would usually call me and be like, what do you know about these people? So she called me one day and she asked me what I know about. I forget if she brought up Carla first. I think so. Or the potential buyer first. I think it was Carla first. Yeah. Because she didn't know who the buyer was at first.
1: Correct. Mystery buyer.
0: She called me up and asked me if I knew Carla Barron. Uh, And I said, yeah, I do know her, you know, a little bit. I don't know her personally, but she was a medium, psychic, medium, whatever. I don't know what she terms herself, but she was on a show called Haunting Evidence. And we've had Patrick Burns on the show before, who was her co-host on that show. And that was the show in the very early days of paranormal TV where they were trying to solve cold cases with a psychic and a paranormal investigator. And it really, it had a lot of, uh, it had a good following, but then it lost a lot of people when it tried to take on the Natalie Holloway case, which was still very fresh at the time. And I guess like Carla came up with a bunch of stuff that was just not true. So that really didn't help their cause. But so Leanne was asking me what I knew about her and I was like, yeah, you know, just just from that show. And, you know, we've had a few interactions on social media and stuff. I might've interviewed her at one point on the show. I don't remember. And so she said, okay, she is reaching out to me because she knows somebody that wants to buy the house, Lizzie Borden, bed and breakfast. And this was, you know, 2016, 17, it was a while ago. And she said, uh, you know, I'm not, the house isn't really up for sale, but we'll listen to any offer. And if somebody's going to come and wow me and offer, you know, $10 million, we're going to take that deal. So the process goes on, and eventually Carla tells her who this mystery buyer is because she has to set up a a, a Skype call between the two of them. And the mystery buyer, supposedly, is uh, Game of Thrones star and uh, Aquaman Aquaman himself, Jason Momoa. Oh,
2: God. My my wife would be thrilled. Well, so would
0: most people, you would think. (laughs) I was. Like we're basically told, like, (laughs) hey guys, I want you to come be at the house and take Jason Momoa on a paranormal investigation of the house so he can see what it's all about. And we're like, Absolutely. Like whenever he comes, you know, we'll do it. I mean, I don't care. I don't. I'm not a fan of the guy. I mean, I, I I think he's a cool guy. Like, but you know, like I'm not starstruck by him or anything. Um, Stephanie, a little bit different. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think I,
2: I any. I don't think I've met any women that know who he is that are not like, Google over that guy.
0: Yeah, he's a good-looking dude. Oh, he is. He's a good-looking dude. And he's a funny guy. Like, I've seen him host SNL, and, like, he just seems like a really nice guy on social media. He is a very nice guy, and
1: he's super, super connected to his Hawaiian roots. And and he
0: did something (laughs) nice for that local kid, uh, even though the photographer that set it all up turns out to be a jerk. That's for Christina, who's listening.
1: I think I'm more attracted to Cal Drogo than I am... The character than... than than Jason Momoa, So, if I had to pick. Um, Well, I mean, is it
0: really that different?
1: uh, Yes. So... Yeah, because like Jason Momoa, the way he dresses, I'm just not sure about. Doesn't do it for me. Um but it quickly turned into, hey, something's it
0: got, off. It got weird fast. It got
1: very weird fast. And then it turned into like I would literally spend almost every day on the phone with Leanne trying to figure out like what was going on. I was calling so- like agents that I knew from different shows to like, do you know, like, can I get in
0: touch? She, she set up the Skype with him, you know, because like that was like the next step of trying to find out how serious he was about buying the house. She set up the Skype with him, but he couldn't (laughs) turn on the camera for his Skype because he had broken his phone. And so the camera didn't work on his phone for the Skype. Now I'm just going to guess if you're Jason Momoa, and you break your cell phone, you just get another cell phone. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not like you or I, where we have to be like, no, I got to put in an insurance claim and wait for them and to cover their, or get the screen replaced and wait in line at the Apple Or a tablet or a laptop
2: that he could use in lieu of a cell phone, or his wife's phone,
0: yeah. or any of this stuff. So it was odd. very skeptical about the whole story at this point, and and Leanne's like, you know, I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I, you know, I have no reason not to believe Carla. And
1: there was a few things, though, that happened that really made Leanne believe, like, wait a minute, this could be. And I remember being on the phone with her. I'm like, Leanne, this is a catfish. It's got to be a catfish. Like she's like, can you be here Tuesday at X time? Because that's when he's coming with his whole family. They rented out the house. Can you be here to sit in on this meeting? And I'm like, "Uh, I guess so. Like, sure. Just call me. And they never up. Yeah, there's
0: no there's no phone call. And I was in. I think I actually went to Fall River, didn't I?
1: I can't remember if we went.
0: Uh, no, I know I know that I came from work. Okay. So I don't know if like I was there and like we were gonna call you. Or, you you know guys what? were
1: supposed to let me know when to be there.
0: I think I was there anyway. I think I went to. That was the day that I went and I tried a Marcucci sub. But, Marcucci's really. Yeah.
1: Marzilli's is better well, Whatever
0: one I went to one or the other I don't know which one
1: Well I hope it was Marzilli's. That's the real
0: Fall River discussion We're going to have tonight Marcucci's or Marzillies Oh great Have um, you had either one? I have not Alright
1: you're so it's, it's a huge <laughs> debate Don't ever it's, Yeah Just go to Marzilli's.
0: Whichever one I went to I went to the one that's next to the park
1: Right, Marzilli's. I mean, they're they're literally right next door to each other. Oh,
0: then that doesn't help. So, what are they serving there? Italian subs. Okay. Well, they have you know all different kinds of stuff, but like they used
1: to be in business together, and then they separated.
0: People fight over which one has the better Italian sub. One has the better meats. One has the better bread. Blah blah blah. Anyway, so
1: they're literally this long.
0: The call doesn't come through, and they're like five bucks. bucks. Oh, is it? I I thought it was cheaper than that. So the call never comes. You know, he's never showing up there. Uh, And it gets progressively weirder. Carla starts calling Leanne in the middle of the night and bitching her out, saying, you know, stop talking to him. Because apparently in one of the phone calls, one of the Skype calls where he couldn't turn on his camera, um, he made a joke about something like pornographic and Leanne, who had a very twisted sense of humor... Uh, responded in kind and apparently Carla found out about that and flipped out on Leanne. Now why would you flip out on Leanne? Well oh, uh, you know not a good business move well, you know what is it that ch- no 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 it's because Carla and Jason were in love mm-hmm. and Leanne was trying to break them up. Now just let's put a pause on this for a moment. Jason Momoa is married to Lisa it's Bonet. Someone. Mm-hmm. And they are very much in love. Like,
1: We've been together forever.
0: You would just have to look on his social media like he worships her. So I don't know where this comes from. Uh, and, and it gets progressively weirder as time goes on. She's really calling Leanne and and telling her like the whole deal's off because Leanne's trying to be inappropriate with Jason. And, you know, as this goes on and Leanne realizes it's a catfish, naturally she's going to screw with him back. Harder than he's trying to screw with her because that's just how she is. And so it's all getting back to Carla. Carla's getting all worked up about it. And it got to social media. And Mm -hmm. people were calling Carla out on being the one that got catfished. And then she shared that her and Jason were actually married in a special ceremony. And she shared the marriage certificate, which was just something printed from a website.
2: Is it possible this is a different Jason Momoa? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. She she was adamant that it was the
0: Jason Momoa. She
1: was, like, posting screenshots of their conversation. And tagging and like, him on Twitter yeah.
0: in, you know, tagging his real Twitter handle. Uh-huh. So, but none of the Jason Momoa tweets, I you know... I think the
1: excuse was, like, like, everybody knows that Jason Momoa is pride of gypsies on yes. all of his social media. It's just... It's something that sticks. This one was like Pride of Gypsies one or something like that. Yeah. And he with would, no photos.
0: He you know, because the camera's broken yeah. on his phone. Yeah, of course.
1: He would claim that, like, he had that special account just to look at porn or something like that so he wouldn't get caught. It was the weirdest story ever and we would just sit around with Leanne and laugh about it after a while. Like what is wrong with this woman? And she was so angry.
0: Very bizarre. And then you know as it goes to social media I chime in. And you get blocked. And I end up getting blocked. So
1: I thought Carla was going to get on a plane and
0: come after you. I mean. You
1: made her mad.
0: All I'm trying to do is save her from any further embarrassment.
1: Oh, no, she was hooked.
0: I and also, you know, you know, taking some some digs at her because she went after my friend over yeah. this whole thing. But still, like, it, 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 it's sad when that happens. But think about it. What are the chances that Jason Momoa not only is talking to you on social media and then on Skype, you know, having these long conversations with her on Skype, but it didn't sound like him. Because he doesn't sound like that in real life. That was the excuse. Like, he puts on a voice when he's in public.
2: Uh, he put so, on a voice to play Carl Drogo, but but like seen him on like, re- Letterman. Uh, that's, I- that's him putting on a voice, no, okay.
0: trying to sound like the way he looks. Yeah. You know, his real voice was a little bit more like high-pitched yeah, <laughs> and yeah. So, But just what are the chances that, A, he's connecting with you in the first place, but then you know... That he's married, and like to take it to that level of like now we're internet married because we have this certificate from a website. Like
1: like Universal Life Church or something. It was Hey, like don't knock that
0: now because I'm a reverend in that. That's how I don't pay taxes. No, I'm just kidding, (laughs) I pay taxes. Um, but the the funny part about this all is like she must have thought that she's so famous. That the real Jason Momoa knew who she was. Yep. Like, that's the part that blows my mind.
1: She's still on Twitter. Let's look her up.
0: You can look her up. I can't.
1: No, you're still blocked.
0: <laughs> but that's, that's what's really weird about it all, is that you thought, like, you were that famous <laughs> that Jason Momoa would reach out to you and say, I want you to help me buy the Lizzie Borden house. So... But like what? Yeah, you
2: would think he would just contact the sellers directly, right? Yeah.
0: If hi, this is Jason Momoa calling. Uh, I think that that works. I don't think you need to have, you know, hi, this is Carla Baron calling on behalf of Jason Momoa. So anyway, uh, you know, she's probably going to sue us now for yeah, for definitely. laying this all out. But whatever, it's true.
1: We basically just talked about her social media feed and yeah, the accuracy of that all.
0: I, yeah, and uh, and and if you are that much of a public figure, it's really hard to prove slander. So. Good luck with that. Um, all right. Well, shifting gears from Fall River, yep. uh, from one Fall River story to another, the reason that we have Aaron with us tonight is because, first of all, uh, you know he is a documentary filmmaker. You know him from the Bridgewater Triangle documentary.
2: Now on YouTube, it has exploded on YouTube. I can't believe- It did explode on YouTube, but then all I think YouTube can just dial down how much they're recommending it to other people. I mean we, at one point we were doing like 50,000 views a day at its peak and now we'll get like 1500 a day. It's still pretty good. I I it, it's good but I just it's it show they must be able to just be like, "Oh, eh, we're going to push this for a little while as a recommended video and then just shut the still, faucet it off." It still
0: shows up in my recommendations every time I go into my account.
2: Well, that's that's good to know. Which but, I mean it's doing okay, but They it, obviously it don't know it down long. dramatically.
0: So, but still, I mean, to have... Last time I looked, it it had almost 300,000 total views. It's at like
2: 308 now, something like that.
0: So, when you look at the response that you've got from it, you know, a lot of comments in there. Uh, Of course, most people think that it's uh, a different
2: Bridgewater. Yeah, (laughs) a lot lot of of these folks from the UK are kind of pissed (laughs) off, I guess.
0: Like, that's not the Bridgewater that I thought that it was. But (laughs) it seems like there is a lot of positive response, not only to... The documentary, but to the fact that, you know, these people find out they've been watching Bridgewater Triangle videos all over social media, whether it be YouTube or TikTok or whatever, and then they find out, wait a minute, this documentary came out before all of that. I mean, it it, it is kind of showing them that this is kind of the OG of Bridgewater Triangle stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you wanna let's want a ninety minute crash course in the Bridgewater Triangle, it's a good place to start, I would I would think. It's it's really funny. People know Chris
0: Pittman now. From Ancient Aliens, because he's on, like, a bunch of episodes of that. But nobody realizes, like, he's the guy that kind of resurrected this.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, his article was the, the, how I came across the whole concept of the Ridgewater Triangle.
0: And him and Chris Balzano. Chris Balzano had the, the section on his site talking about it. And then, you know, you go back and you find out they worked at the same sandwich shop. And, like, it's just all a weird nexus of things.
2: Well, a lot of people complaining about the commercials. Uh, you know, YouTube runs commercials. Totally your so fault. So if... If I had thought about it, I would have put a graphic at the beginning that said this is also available on Amazon Prime with no commercials and is free if you have Amazon Prime. (laughs) But I thought then, I was like, yeah, YouTube, I don't know how, if anybody actually watches it, and that would be a reason for them not to push it.
0: But who is going to YouTube and watching the Bridgewater Triangle documentary? Is it people that are... Bridgewater Triangle documentary fans That are going and finding it on YouTube Or is it YouTube watchers who are they finding give the you documentary the, They give you
2: those stats and for a while It was like 80% of our viewers on YouTube Were getting it as a recommended video So somebody would go on YouTube and watch Some other paranormal thing and then it would come up At the end and say you might like this and then show Our film.
0: So then what you're telling me Is there are people that already watched YouTube That should have known that YouTube puts Commercials that, that's and videos. True.
2: That's true but you know I, You know we could Essentially demonetize it and it would shut the commercials off although YouTube can still run ads on videos Mm -hmm. that are not monetized because that's what they do so it would have ads either way Um, because it's a 90 minute feature they're not going to show ad free what
0: videos are they watching that people aren't putting ads in I don't know know? people
2: like to complain like like one
1: minute videos that don't matter I'm
2: sorry there's ads on your free Video on YouTube, <laughs> which you don't pay for. <laughs> right.
1: But if you do pay for it, it's ad-free, right?
2: That's true.
0: YouTube yeah. premium, ad-free. Yep. You could do that. You could watch it on Amazon Prime, as you said. You could buy the DVD. There's a lot of different ways to not have to deal with the commercials. I
1: watched it on Amazon Prime.
0: I have watched it on all different platforms.
1: I mean, I watched it originally in person, but I just watched it again, what, last week when I messaged you guys?
0: And I just don't, I just don't get the complaints. Just yeah. like you said, people just want to complain about something. That's the internet. And if that's the best thing they have to complain about is that there's commercials in it, it's like, oh, I was really enjoying this, and then it was interrupted by a commercial. Like, that's kind of a compliment, too, at the same time.
1: Although, I do have to say, watching it, after very many years of it premiering, I think that you need a part two.
2: I don't know. I don't know if that'll <laughs> happen. No, I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it would be a, a feature or if it would be like a web series or something. I think that, you know, just, I don't know. I, I haven't really thought much about it. I've been working on this endless project now for six years. So uh, when that's finally over and it looks like it'll be over soon, I won't give a hard date, but uh, maybe we'll think about something else.
0: Well, let's get an update from you on the highway murders
2: as much as you want to update things. Uh, it really is... A watched pot never boils, Tim.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it really is getting close, though. It is end.
2: It is getting close. We, COVID set us back. Uh, we had another issue set us back. And, uh, you know, COVID set everything back. So, unfortunately, that's a reason. If it it wasn't for COVID and some other factors, we we would have been done a long time ago.
0: I mean, also, one thing people should understand, too, is that, you know... And I don't think you mind me saying this on the air, but you've, it's it's been very malleable even as you've been making it. Like you have, you have changed things around, even in the parts that you thought were done, you go back and revisit it and say, we can tell this story a different way.
2: Yeah. And, and the other thing too, is it's went from being one thing is going to be three parts and it's going to be five and now it's seven. And so each part is 75 minutes, a couple of them are an hour. But, you know, the Bridgewater Triangle was one 90-minute film that took three years to make. This is seven episodes, an, at least an hour each, some of them like 75 minutes apiece, and we've done it in six years. So we've basically made more than one movie a year for six years. So that, when you look at it like that, we're at a pretty good pace. Um, but, you know, I'm ready to, to move on and put it to bed hopefully soon.
0: Well, and then, you know, once it does, I know that you've talked about, you know, the next step is finding distribution for it. But I know that you've always kind of said that you wanted to have some sort of, um, you know, a chance for the families to see it before other
2: people do. Yeah, you know, and and I think that'll depend on who picks it up and where it goes. But hopefully they'll they'll agree that the family should have an opportunity to see it. I mean, Uh,
0: let's look at it for what it is. Uh and, and this is no dis- disrespect to the families of the victims, but as a PR move, that's great for whoever is gonna be putting yeah, it out there.
2: I I would like, I mean, whatever whatever happens with it, that they would allow a local series of screenings to go along with it. Um you know, it, like for instance, if it was on HBO, and no, we haven't spoken to HBO, but you know, I always think of HBO because it doesn't come out in in all at once like it does on Netflix, it would come out like once a week over a period right. of however long. Uh if they had a local venue here with a certain number of seats that just people could go and watch it live on HBO over the course of however many weeks, I thought that would be kind of a cool thing. Um, but you know, these are just things that have popped around in my
0: head. I mean, uh, we, and we've gone back and forth too, about like, you know, the way that people consume content now that, you know, th- there is that binge mentality where people, if they're going to have a multi-part docuseries, they want to get it all at once. But this is certainly something that you could put out on a weekly basis because from what I've seen, you're going to see this part and then you're going to definitely want to tune in the next week for the next part. That's where I think some of these content, you know, distributors worry is, is there enough hook to make them wait a week? And certainly with this story there, there is that hook from part to part. From a
2: local perspective, I think it coming out over a period of, you know, however many weeks would be more fun because an episode comes out and then there's all the chatter about that episode for the next week. and then the next one comes out and then there's all the chatter and the build up for the next one and the next one whereas if it comes out all at once, you know, Joe Schmo might walk. Joe Schmo might might watch it in the course of a night and then this other people might watch it over the course of a week so everyone's watching it at a, at a different pace because
0: we're going to talk about the Fall River docu series that aired on Epics. I got the chance to see it all on a screener one right after the other mm-hmm. uh, and everybody else saw it. I guess they ran. They ran three weeks because they put the last two on together in the, in the yeah. final week, which that's not a good sign. What that basically means is that they probably weren't getting the ratings that they were getting, and they're like, let's just burn it off. Um, but still, I mean, it was a...
2: I just think that's because Epix doesn't have enough of a reach. I mean, they, well, they, certainly they, not. they're running, you know, before the episodes, they'd run like promos for all the stuff that they're doing. And they have like this, this ancient Rome thing that they're doing that looks pretty, pretty good. Right. So they're, tr- of they're like trying is like a- to be like an original content. It's just nobody knows what Epix is. I had never heard of it until this, this whole thing. I
0: only knew what it was because when I had um, Verizon cable. I was paying for every channel. And so I see this channel show up called Epics and I was like, Well, why aren't I getting this? Because I, I'm paying for every channel. And so I called and they explained to me that like it's an it's a new thing and an add-on and it's it's more and at that time there was no original content. They were just running movies and their gimmick was that they ran it the same time every day because they really wanted you to go and watch it online. Like so the network was kind of just a like a um a pacification of people that are still stuck in that, you know, with the cord mindset, but they really wanted to be a cord cutting option. Uh, but then they've come through with all of this new original programming. And so they've realized like it's beneficial to be on the carriers, you know, in that regard. Uh, so, well, let's get into this a little bit because we have talked about in the past, you know, avoiding the subject of the Fall River cult murders, because when we started the show, it was a topic that, uh came up in a lot of the things that we researched uh, you know I know it comes up in to just in discussing the freetown state forest and the bridgewater triangle stuff and we were kind of warned in the early days that the cult that is involved in this is still active that carl drew and robin murphy and the people that we'll talk about tonight were the low levels of that cult and that the higher ups in the cult still exist still have positions of power here in Southeastern Massachusetts and would not like us discussing the cult.
2: Just to piggyback on that, when I was fresh out of college, I tried to get a documentary off the ground about the cult murders. And at that point, the guy who wrote Mortal Remains was still alive, Henry Scammell, I think his name was. And I called him on the phone and said, I'd like to do a documentary about this case. And he goes, I don't want to be involved. I think it's a bad idea. I think you should avoid it. Those people are dangerous and they will come after you. And that was the extent of the conversation. And I was very, very young. So it would have been a massive undertaking that I probably would have gotten in over my head on. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I was warned right out of college. Do not touch this case.
1: On that note, I think I have to go to bed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was concerned. I was concerned because when I started doing this show, I had a two-year-old. So for me, it was like, okay, I've got a family that I have to worry about. So. You know, Moniz was all about it. He's like, let's talk about it. Matt Costa was like, I don't care. I don't believe in any of this stuff anyway. And for me, it was like, well, do I? And it was something that I went back and forth on quite a bit. And then there was the night that I went home after the show and I saw these shadowy figures down the street kind of walking around, like hiding behind trees and bushes. And I wasn't thinking anything paranormal. At the time, uh, but I was like, we had just kind of danced around the topic of the cult on the air. So I was like, well, is there something to this? Is this really true? Like now here we are 15 years later and I don't think there's anything true about it at all. I'll talk about it all I want now because A, if there is anybody that's involved in it, like we're a little bit more of a known quantity now. It'd be harder to get rid of us. Like it would look pretty obvious if you did, but also I don't think that there is anybody that's involved in it. And If there was, you know, they're not going to knock off some talk radio host.
2: The attitude has changed. I mean, Alan Alves. When I said I was interested in doing a documentary, he's like, "I don't want to be involved in that." But he was in. He was in Fall River, so his <laughs> right. his whole outlook has changed. So I mean, time time changes things. Absolutely. Well, so let's get into some of
0: what what it was that happened. Uh, And and we're going to talk about this through the lens, not so much of the cases themselves, but more through the lens of the way that it's presented in the docuseries. Because, listen, folks, whether you are, you know, well-versed in this case or not, uh, whether you don't really care about true crime or any of that stuff or not, like this was a national level production that was put out by Blumhouse... Which is Jason Blum's production company. He's the guy who makes a lot of the horror movies that you see in the theaters today, uh, and, and they make a lot of prestige television. They made one of my favorite series of uh, 2020, um, the Good Lord, the Good Lord Bird, which was on Showtime, which was fantastic—a historical drama uh, about um, uh, Harper's Harper's Ferry, uh, the 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 um, slave rebel, John Brown. So it was it was very well done, and. You know, they're branching out beyond the horror stuff. So this was, and it was an MGM production, which when I saw that at the beginning, I was like, whoa, this is going to be, you know, big time stuff. Well, and they certain, spent some
2: money for sure. Certainly,
0: yeah. The money shows in that. Like when I first saw the Fall River Police Cars, I was like, whoa, most documentaries don't bother to spend the time for that little detail or the money. So, it, you know, this is a national level thing. So even if it's not your cup of tea, just understand like this case has now become prominent in a world where there's a lot of true crime podcasts out there, a lot of true crime TikTok, uh, a lot of true crime people on Instagram, so it's gaining a lot of popularity. I actually tried listening to a few podcasts this week about it. I couldn't stick with them because they're all terrible. Like, podcasts (laughs) Listen, I'm so glad that podcasting exists, but podcast people, you'll lose me very fast. Like when you're opening up the show, talking about your friend and, you know, all the t-shirts that you have for sale and all that, which we do that too. So we're just as bad. <laughs> we but have to talk about you guys are established bad.
2: though. I like it so when you I do, do it. that now. I'm think, sure you didn't do you that in the early days. We
0: didn't in the early days, and people hate when we do it now. Like if you read our reviews on iTunes and other pl- podcast platforms, like all these people do is talk about themselves and their and their events and all that. That's yeah. not what I'm listening for. I'm here for spooky stories. So
1: well, Stephanie sneezes too much. Yeah. Like, why, why, do the girl, why do you let the girl?
0: Why do you let the girl? The sniffles on. Well, because so.
1: because there's house plants here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this, this is the portion of the program where we attack all of our uh, all of our critics. I'm still um, mad
1: about the plants ten years later. I know.
0: Mad. And it's still there. It's only gotten bigger over time. <laughs> and every time I more. see Phil come in to, to water that plant, I say the same thing every time. Phil, you're killing Stephanie with that plant. You really need to take it home.
1: Yeah, I don't even know what it is.
0: It's um it's an Audrey three. Sounds like a robot. Just
1: something
2: else to take care of. She
1: doesn't
0: even get you don't get the Audrey Two reference? No. You never saw Little Shop of Horrors? No.
1: I have not. Don't look at me.
0: Never seen it. Wow. Thank God. Wow. Where am I?
1: He always makes fun of me for not seeing any type of movie that he's seen. Or a weird YouTube video. We had a we had a a solid sixteen hours in the car together last week.
0: She wouldn't she wouldn't watch Stone Cold E. T.
1: Please tell me you haven't.
2: I haven't seen Stone, Stone Cold ET, ET is one of the you best YouTube videos the in the side. world. It's it's
0: it's a guy in
2: a Is it ET. as good as the Grape Stomp Lady? Oh, it's better. Oh.
0: This is a it's a guy in an ET mask that pulls up to a White Castle, orders burgers talking in a Stone Cold Steve Austin accent, and it's just hilarious. Anyway.
1: And he quoted it the entire 16 hours.
0: Well, cuz there was a White Castle just the two of you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was not it was um it was not Stephanie's
2: favorite trip ever. <laughs> That's a long time in the car. It, it was. We just did that.
0: It was it was a three and a half hour ride, but it was just with traffic. Uh, it
2: took traffic forever. Traffic was
0: horrendous. Because we were coming from Long Island, from a small town in Long Island that yeah, we can't, long we can't name. be tough. We can't tell people what small town we were in in Rhode Island, this little ville that we were in. We can't say it because we've been told that we have to wait. We signed non-disclosure agreements. So, you know- we're trying to keep things amicable, so we're not going to say anything. I said nothing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Am I dropping things all around here? Uh, we're we're up against the break here. So when we come back on the other side, we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Uh, it, I mean, what are they going to do? Edit us out now? Come on.
1: I, I'm. I'm not looking to get sued, so I'm just going to sit here. And I don't know fish. if we. I
0: don't know if we can get sued necessarily. Although I don't um, know.
1: I asked you if you read the contract before I signed but, it because I was too uh, tired to
0: read. I it. haven't sent the checks yet, so maybe we should not Would, not say anything yet. Uh-huh. So, um, but uh, anyway, um, we'll be able to talk more about that freely in October, and well, share all the social media photos and videos that we photos took. Photos and, and
1: videos and experiments and
0: and, and uh, uh,
1: random car ride photos and.
0: And the menu from a seafood restaurant that used to be a bar. hmm I saved the menu and the receipt.
1: Oh my god, did I show you the video are of the out? Are you talking with out? your
0: mouth full I on the am. radio? All right, I'm gonna have to pot you down.
1: No, you won't. I haven't been here since winter. You're gonna give me a break. You're breaking-
0: Isn't that
2: like a radio sin?
0: It is. It You're eating is. on the air. Yeah. And right now the engineer is listening saying, What are you eating in the studio? It's just candy, Frank. It's um, just candy.
1: I have the video of you walking out of that restaurant.
0: With that look on my face. Mm-hmm. I had that look on my face. Absolutely. Well, anyway, you're going to have to wait four months to find out. Uh, But you won't have to wait four months to start talking about the Fall River docuseries. If you have seen it or if you are familiar with the cases and you want to chime in, we'll take your phone calls in the next hour, 508-996-0500. You can call in and share whatever's on your mind. Uh, You can also tweet us on, well, on Twitter. You can tweet us using the hashtag SpookyLive. But we're also at Spooky SC, and I, I want to thank everybody for hanging out on social media tonight, checking out the show. I know things are a little bit different, not running the YouTube cameras. Uh, I have been talking with the engineer. We think we might be able to get it up and running, maybe by next week. Uh, there's some adjustments that he wants to try to make, but it's a it's a software issue where the software is not working with the platform update so hopefully we can get that going all right back with more in just a bit Number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with psychic medium Stephanie Burke. And sitting in with us tonight, we have Aaron Kadju. He is the filmmaker behind the Bridgewater Triangle documentary and also uh, behind the forthcoming documentary or docuseries, The Highway Murders. And speaking of docuseries, that's why he's in here with us tonight. We're going to be talking about the Fall River docuseries that aired on Epix. And you can still see it on Epix On Demand. Uh, If you don't have the Epix channel, You don't need to have the channel. You can get it as an app. What's it like? Five bucks, I think? It's like four bucks a month or something. So you can cancel at any time. You can get it. Yeah. Get it, watch it, and then cancel afterwards. And it's probably the same price as it would cost you to rent an on demand movie. So not a bad deal. Uh, There might be some other programming on there that you want to see. So, I mean, I'm sure Epix doesn't want me telling people. Subscribe, watch it, and then cancel. Like that's the last time we sent you a screen screener. Oh, bird. The
2: birdcage is on there. That's a very funny movie. It is. Uh, I saw that in the theater. That it's was hilarious.
0: One of my favorite movie-going experiences. Uh, the audience just rolling in the aisles, literally. That's one and of the funniest, funniest movies I've ever seen. And the you know it's it's also a great channel for true crime stuff. They had a, a docu series on Manson last summer that was pretty interesting because it it, it took it. it was it demystified Charles Manson. It took away a lot of the mythology that had been built up around him and basically said, here's this drug addict hippie guy that just got a bunch of other drug addict hippies to believe the crap that he was spewing and then portrayed himself as a crazy guy to get attention over the years. And there's not a lot... Uh, I mean, there, there are a lot of parallels you can draw between Charles Manson and Carl Drew in that regard because... You know, here's a guy that's been built up as this mythological cult leader. Uh, you know, the the son of the devil. Actually, called you know people in Fall River at the time calling him Satan, and uh, and it turns out that he's probably you know we're giving him a lot more credit than we should be, uh, especially based on the way that this this docu series presents him. So, Aaron, let me just ask you. Um, Not only from not not necessarily from a filmmaker's perspective, but from a researcher's perspective as somebody who has spent, you know, all these years diving into true crime for the projects that you're working on. How did you look at the way that it was presented this these murders were presented in that docuseries uh, and how that might have been different than what you thought you knew about the murders?
2: I didn't, yeah, I didn't know nearly as much about that case as I should have. I mean, we gave a brief five-minute synopsis of the case in the Bridgewater Triangle, Freetown State force section of that documentary. So, but I wish I had known more, and I walked away from it saying, so you have three murders, this is the, this is going to be the, the dead horse that I beat all night. Law enforcement and uh, investigators were convinced that these three murders that took place over, what, three months, four months, maybe, There was one in October, one in November, one in February. October, November,
0: yep, February,
1: yep. So, yeah,
2: a few months. They have three murders, which they're absolutely convinced are connected. But somehow, Andre Maltese gets convicted in the second one, and Carl Drew gets convicted in the third. And there's absolutely no evidence to suggest that Carl Drew and Andre Maltese spent any time together at all. That is the thing I cannot wrap my head around with this. So one of those two guys... Is innocent. Has to be. The only common denominator in all three of those murders is Robin Murphy.
0: And <laughs> so let's let's kind of break it all down. We'll give people a little bit of a thumbnail sketch if they are not familiar with the murders. So the first murder is committed on October 13th, 1979. Uh, the body of 17-year-old New Bedford resident Doreen Levesque is found under the bleachers of Diamond Vocational in Fall River. Uh, because it turns out this 17-year-old New Bedford girl had turned to a life of prostitution and was doing so in Fall River so as not to encounter anybody that she knew, and she ends up being murdered and her body found under those bleachers. Uh, So that happens in October of 1979, which Aaron points something out in the documentary that I didn't realize at first but now aggravates me as much as it does him.
2: Yeah, the recreations had snow on the ground (laughs) for an October 13th. Very, very early snow.
0: I'm tempted almost to Google what the weather conditions were in Fall River on that night.
1: It could have been.
0: It, it may be, but uh, uh, how much would that blow your you mind? You might still if, be wearing shorts <laughs> on
2: October 13th in some circumstances. Just how can. much
0: would it blow your mind if it, if there was snow on the ground and they got that much detail right? We'll leave it. We'll leave it out there in the ether. Somebody's going to call and be like, I remember October 13th, 1979. We had a blizzard. Uh, so the, anyway, that happens in October Uh, Then the second murder takes place November 7th, 1979. So we're talking about three weeks later. uh, And that is the murder of 19-year-old Barbara Raposa, although her body wasn't discovered until January of 1980. And that was the murder that Andre Maltese was uh, convicted of. And then the third murder happens in February of 1980 when 20-year-old Karen Marsden is killed. uh, And then portions of her skull were discovered in April of 1980. Uh, the rest of her body never recovered. So the theory behind this, uh, you know, and be, uh, the theory that was being put out by the DA's office was that Carl Drew killed uh,
2: Doreen, Doreen Levesque. The first.
0: But then killed Karen Marsden because she was going to rat him out for killing Doreen Levesque. But when they put him on trial, they're basically saying, like, let's just... Go with the fact that he killed Doreen Levesque. The entire prosecution was based on the idea that he was trying to cover up a murder that he was never convicted of committing.
2: Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> so so here's what here's another part of this that doesn't make any sense. So basically they, they are saying that Carl Drew killed Karen Marsden because she witnessed him kill Doreen Levesque. The story is that she actually saw it. And before she was killed, she was afraid to talk to the police. She wouldn't say the name of the—well, actually, she told the state—according and to the book, uh, Mortal Remains, she told the state police, uh, investigator Paul Fitzgerald, that Carl Drew killed Doreen Levesque. And then she was afraid of Carl Drew, and then she was supposed to talk to the—go into witness protection with the fallover police or talk to the fallover police, and they dropped her off to see a priest. Uh, and that's the last time anybody saw her, and then she winds up dead. <clears throat> the problem is, the story is that Carl Drew and uh, Carl Davis and Willie Smith and uh, Carol Fletcher and Robin Murphy all piled mm-hmm. into a car and went off and killed Karen Marsden and kicked the head around like a football. Right. Not just kills her, board. they, they so, cut her head off. So think about this. So Carl Drew is concerned about a witness who's going to rat him out for a murder that she saw him do. So in order to get rid of her... He brings on a bunch of other additional new witnesses to watch him kill another one. It makes no sense whatsoever. If you're concerned about witnesses, why do you have a whole car full of new people to go watch you kill this girl?
0: Right. And it also, uh, you know, it it gets weirder than that, too, because we'll bring Robin Murphy now into the conversation. Here she is, what, 17 years old at the time, uh, always had been portrayed, at least in the way that we had always heard the the details, as being a, a rival pimp to Carl Drew. That she controlled one corner, he controlled another. Uh, The docuseries kind of says, you know, that might not necessarily been exactly the way that it was. Um, But, you know, here she is, you know, this mastermind of this prostitution ring. uh, And she's involved. You know, Carl Drew sucks her into all of this against her will. And now she has to take part in this. And it's kind of, I mean, I felt like they didn't spend enough time in the docuseries really examining this part of it. She's the one that committed the
2: murder and has admitted to committing the murder. But then recanted that she did.
0: Well, later on, sure. But she, at the time of the trial, she's the one that that killed Karen Marsden and cut her head off at Carl Drew's behest, but still did it. So this is the same thing, like a Manson situation, where, yeah, you know, he didn't pull the trigger. He didn't pull out the knife, but whatever. But he's the one that was... Behind it all. So she gets to plead to a lesser count to second, second degree, degree murder uh, in order to turn against him. So he's now being charged with the murder of somebody who he didn't actually murder based on the supposition that he murdered somebody else. I don't know how this shaky case, and I'm not defending him in any way, but I don't know how the shaky case even got brought to trial this I, way.
2: And the, the real head-scratcher is there are so many similarities between the murder of Dorian Levesque and the second murder, Barbara Raposa. They were tied up the same way, the same kind of twine or fishing line was used. Their head was, both of their heads were smashed with rocks. It was like these two absolutely brutal murders. So it's like, so you have these three that you all you all, all the law enforcement is saying these are all connected murders, but... Maltese coincidentally acted alone and killed Barbara Raposo independently of the other two. And there were so many similarities between Barbara Raposo's and Dorian Levesque's, but Maltese... Did. So either Maltese did that as a copycat or Maltese, <clears throat> as the documentary suggests, could potentially be responsible for all of them along with probably Robin Murphy.
1: Or he and, was so stupid he didn't commit all three.
2: Yeah, but... Uh, But who did the... If he didn't commit all three...
1: Robin Murphy.
2: Yeah, Robin Murphy. See, the equation that... When I boil it all down, like I just said, either Maltese is innocent or Drew is innocent. They both can't be guilty. It's Mm -hmm. impossible. Correct. For any rational human being to sit down and look at this case... You have to say one of those two guys didn't do it. I
1: think Maltese was guilty of a lot of really disgusting, creepy things. And the fact that it was just constantly overlooked is disgusting, Um, which is just bad police work in itself. I think The, the whole documentary was just bad political everything, bad police work all around. And I think the theme that we've lived, Tim and I, for the past week is like the police work of the 1970s was just a joke. Like, it was not thorough. It was not, uh, it was like, here's all the hard evidence, but that doesn't matter because we have to get a conviction. So we're just going to do whatever it takes to get a guy that's going to take the fall for this and we can go home at night and not even worry about it. Because to the public and their perception, we've done our job. And that's exactly how this case came across. So watching that documentary, Maltese is a creep.
2: Absolutely, yeah. He's
1: disgusting. But who does he go back to? The entire time. If he's if he's guilty of killing all these women, who does he constantly go back to and never kill?
2: Robin Murphy. Why? I don't know. Well, well let's...
0: you wonder, right? Let, 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 let's kind of set that up a little bit more because I think, you know, we're <laughs> not giving people enough of an idea of who Maltese was if they're not familiar. Uh, he was a guy who was...
1: um Or you could just let us keep going and let them watch the documentary. <laughs> well,
0: he, well, was, I, he yeah. was known, you know, he was... A guy who was into some things, uh, not exactly an upstanding citizen, but also no. somebody who had—I would—I would, I would say—he's a pedophile. Yeah, I, I think, think that's a—you know—a healthy that's, way to put it. And uh, and so he was involved with these women from the time that they were young, especially Robin Murphy. And like what twelve? Yes. Eleven. Yeah. yeah. So he had knowledge of them. He was working in their circles. It is quite plausible because if you look at some of the other cases in which there are pedophiles involved in the murders of Mm -hmm. young women, and I might be talking out of my ass a little bit here with this, but there have been other cases where when they age out of what the guy is into, Mm -hmm. the guy will kill them.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: So this could have been one of those Mm -hmm. type of situations where he could have killed all three of them because for well, whatever reason.
1: Why not Robin Murphy? He she was the first. But
0: you could argue that it's because he never had the opportunity. No. Or or
1: <clears throat> he had every opportunity.
0: Well, you don't know that. You weren't you weren't in the situations that they were in.
1: No, but according to the documentary, in front of your face, he had every opportunity to kill her. At any point, he was picking her up from school every single day. She was with when she him. was younger, though. Right, but you, even wouldn't as, have,
0: you wouldn't have killed her then. You would have killed her when she's, you even know, as
1: she was older. She though, might not have
0: even aged out, really. She
1: admitted w- being in the car with him when she was I aged can, out.
0: If you're still in, I don't know. I don't want to go down the pedophilia speculation no. angle, but um, you know, he might not have he might not have been ready for and that. she
1: also admitted that she brought friends to him in order to feed his issue. And those friends spoke on the documentary.
0: <clears throat> the The biggest part of this is that when we started talking about this on Spooky South Coast, part of the reason why we pulled back on it was because in those days, Robin Murphy was free. She had served her sentence mm-hmm. for second-degree murder. and had been released. And, you know, kind of giving some credence to the idea of that there could have still <laughs> been a cult that was operating at high levels. She gets out of prison and gets a pretty cushy state job. Mm-hmm. Which I thought I was under the impression that a convicted felon
2: couldn't get a state job. State jobs are hard to come by. That pension's hard to get, and yeah. uh, they give it to a convicted felon. I just thought you
0: couldn't... A murder. I thought you couldn't legally a hold a position with the state if you'd been a convicted felon. I,
2: I don't know.
1: No, so that begs the question, is everything that she said in court completely untrue? And she came back to them saying, look, I lied for you you know, to get your conviction for so many times in a row that you owe me now.
0: Uh, maybe not. I mean, maybe, but maybe it was just a matter of let's hook her up just so she doesn't say anything. Like if we set her up, or. if we set her up nice, you know, she won't turn against us. And then of course her just her own proclivities lead to her ending up back in prison because, you know, she was hanging around with somebody who was also a felon. Right. Which. Did they say who
2: that was, who she got caught with? Um,
0: with? I. I Don't know if they did, but I know that articles have said who yeah. it was. Was it Sunny
2: Spada? Was it yes? It was Sunny Spada, yeah. Okay,
0: so but they they knew each other before, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, she I think she'd lived with her for a while. Yes. Um, so well,
1: she claims that she was going to her house that night to cheat on Karen Marsden,
0: right? So there was something there between them anyway, so yeah. they they knew of each other. It's not a surprise that they would reconnect, but also it is a violation of your parole, correct? You can't be caught in the Company of another convicted felon, even if you're both out on parole. So that ends her up, you know. That ends up she that,
1: gets arrested for that, but she gets a government job.
0: Well, no, she got after this was.
1: I know, but I'm saying that she gets arrested for something oh, well, so uh, small, but you, she breaks the rules somewhere else. You can't. I mean, you can't.
0: There's no way you could not
1: <laughs> throw her back
0: in prison for that.
1: No, I know that, but what I'm saying is they they got her on something so tiny like that. Sorry, that was my fault. Oh. <laughs> um. But they set her up pretty before that. Like, oh, who cares about the law? Who cares about the rules? We're going to, you know, get you into this cushy lifestyle, but, but just, we're going to pull just, you over one night and randomly throw you back in jail for something No, less.
0: just her own stupidity. Like, all no, she had to do was avoid <clears throat> hanging out with that person, and she would have been okay. Right.
1: And she would have been, been standing, standing outside you, but, yeah, here right they're, now tonight
2: They're willing to, to turn process. a blind eye to right, give a convicted murderer a state job, but then they're not <laughs> willing to turn a blind eye when she gets just pulled over for car. being yeah. with an, a known undesirable, <laughs> right? So...
0: But I'm not going to... You're you're also speculating that whoever pulled her over would have been connected to that's what true. was going on. That's true. And I don't I don't think that could that's have been fair. in
2: a different jurisdiction where they didn't really know who she was. was
1: Lynn
0: or yeah? Or it was, I was I right? was gonna say it was north of Boston. So I I mean, and at that point, like, <laughs> what can you do if you're the person that was like, let's just say you're the cult person that was, you know, in the higher up getting her hooked up. At that point, you have to say to yourself like, eh, there's only so much I can do now. You sure, you
1: she made somebody mad and.
0: You did this in in a way that I can't fix. So I think
1: she got lazy because she was so used to just getting off.
0: I think it was a matter of... She
1: tried to claim that she didn't know Sunny was addicted to heroin. Like, there was paraphernalia in the car that night. That's probably why they both uh, got locked up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't matter. Like, just being in her presence was a stupid move Mm -hmm. when you were getting everything handed to you. But anyway, so now she goes (laughs) back into prison and changes her story multiple times. I mean, you can go back and read all of the Fall River Herald news stories mm-hmm. from every time that she came before the parole board, and she tells a different story every time.
2: I, I don't know how. So she basically told the parole board in 2004 that I lied about everything. And that's the same year that Carl Drew gets denied a new trial. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that every major witness that had testified against him originally recanted their, their testimony, everybody, and they still wouldn't give him a new trial, which is insane.
1: I think just the way that he treated – well, he was treated during his first trial was completely against anything that law enforcement should have done, how courts should operate. Like, he didn't even get a chance to figure out anything before they were just like, oh, you're convicted, and, and that's it.
2: And he – so the, the the big thing is they – originally they were going to charge him with the Levesque and the Marsden murders, and then prosecution decided to go with the stronger case, which they thought right. was the Marsden case – the Levesque murder is the one where he claims that he has photos of himself at his stepmother's wedding, and he wasn't even around when the Levesque murder took place. Why hasn't more been made of those wedding photos? Why hasn't more been I, done to say when was this wedding, what time was the wedding, and where did the wedding occur? Because that right there exonerates him on the Levesque murder, which was part of what ended up convicting you him yeah, you, of the Marsden you murder.
0: You can't really try yeah. him for the, for the Marsden murder. If you're not making that assumption that he was involved in the Levesque murder, because that's your whole that's so your whole
2: if, charge. If if those wedding photos exonerate him on the Levesque murder, so he didn't do the Levesque murder, they got Maltese for the Reposa murder. So why would Drew be involved in the Marsden murder? Why would he
0: do it? You know, and you said that you know you don't know why there hasn't been more made out of it. I think we know why there wasn't more made out of it at the time, because it threw off their entire theory. So to go back to Stephanie's point. You know, and I know. You know, it's it's easy to kick somebody around when they're not around to defend themselves. But Ron Pena did not really handle this case very well.
2: The I would have liked to have seen. Uh, well, that's yeah. Uh, I would have liked to have seen the filmmakers dig a little bit more on that wedding thing because that's something. There's a paper trail there. There's marriage mm-hmm. certificates, where the wedding took place, what time the wedding took place. I think
0: I know why they didn't though, because I think that's the basis of this new trial that Correct. they're trying to get put out. So I think, th- I think that they probably had to hold back on some of that stuff.
1: I think they were setting the- themselves up for season two.
0: Well, that's plausible, too. But I think that might have been more at the behest of the Innocence Project.
2: But, y- y- well, any Joe Schmo can get a marriage certificate. That's all public record. So, I mean, somebody just needs to find out who his stepmother was, and I mean, then they can go digging. And, I mean, God, I any one of do us could it right do it. We can do it right now.
1: You know, the three of us could sit here all night and, and find out every piece of information that we need. I mean, you but, can just
2: go on Ancestry and get that right, stuff. Right,
1: super easy. But... The uh, I think that they were setting themselves up for season two. I think like at the end, didn't it say like COVID screwed them up and like they got oh Caldrew um, got
2: COVID, yeah. COVID yeah. became part of the
1: and then they couldn't really. It seems like they didn't get to finish the documentary as planned. And if you look at how it's listed on epics it said like season one episode one, season like one episode two. They do
2: that with all the ser- <laughs> all the series though.
1: Some do, some don't. So I was like, mm, maybe, well, maybe, maybe there's a chance that they're setting themselves up for season two. Like they're not done because that last episode was all about um, them calling Carl Drew and saying like, look, well, this is a this is a, a thing.
0: Unless they get that new trial, there's there is no season
2: two. Right. I mean, that's what you need to have happen. I don't know how he hasn't gotten a new trial. Well, with all the recanting and how much Robin Murphy lies, and she never—you can never know where, what the true story is with her—and then you throw that the wedding photos thing in there. It's his original attorney. What was the guy's name? The first attorney that he had? Oh uh, I can't think of the guy's name, but he sucked.
1: They, say, they <laughs> he said that in the documentary. Sucked.
2: Can I yeah. say that on the air? Yeah, he, yeah, he was awful.
1: Well, are we even on air?
2: Yes.
0: Here's here's the other problem. Uh, yeah, there's there's some more Red Sox. The, um, oh, because
1: you swore before.
0: I just said ass? No. What did I say? Don't say the word. I,
1: I can't. Do you want me to spell it?
0: I, I didn't, didn't swear. It.
1: You did. You totally did. Because I was like, oh, we must not be on air.
0: Oh, I don't think so.
1: You used a, a profanity for complaining about...
0: Oh, I said bitching. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's not a swear.
1: Oh, nothing to see here. Uh, okay. Well, these no, years I thought I couldn't no, say no, that. No, that's not so. a
0: big deal. Game on. Um, <clears throat> the uh from from my understanding and i don't remember if this was coming up in a conversation with you or if somebody else had informed me of this but all of that stuff that was brought up to to give carl drew a new trial is all stuff that's been brought up since for over 10 years now yeah so it's not like it's new information But it's just you know the Innocence Project has recently taken up his his cause, so they need so even though the information's been out there, like they're the ones that are probably pushing for this trial. So there might be, I mean certainly I can't imagine with everything that's going on in trying to fill the backlog of cases since you know COVID shut down trials for so long. I can't imagine that it's like on the forefront of things to do to revisit it really should a previous be, conviction. I mean, the guy
2: the guy was no angel. He, he obviously wasn't, but he's been in jail for 40, however many years now for something that he probably didn't have anything to do with.
0: And if he, what would happen if he did get out? I mean.
1: He's world famous right now.
0: But how do you, <laughs> like, there's no way that you can make up for what you've done. No, this I guy. mean
2: people have sued the state for wrongful conviction. I mean, at forty years in jail for something that you didn't do, he probably could uh, live out the rest of his life very comfortably.
1: He he'd probably have to have more evidence in order to like slam dunk that wrongful conviction. It would have to be like somebody else like with evidence being convicted for those murders in order for him to really No, I don't think so. I think
2: all you have to do is just prove that it wasn't you.
1: Yeah. So just, I think
2: if he can just exonerate himself on the Levesque one. Right that makes the whole that, that was uh, the whole, the, the whole basis for case, you know that he killed Karen Marsden because she was going to rat him out for killing well, Dorian Levesque. It's like too. well if he if he didn't kill Dorian Levesque, the whole prosecution's argument for him killing Marsden falls apart.
1: If they wanted to they could Turn around because they only charged him for uh, Marsden's murder. Yep. So if they clear him on that, he gets out. They can turn right around and re-arrest him for Levesque's murder and try him on that.
2: But if he has those <laughs> wedding photos to exonerate himself, right? So
1: that's where a lot of digging has to happen. And I'm sure that's probably what part of the Innocence Project is working on right now because they want to make sure that he's not going to land right backwards. I mean,
2: he's I, to. I, I'm guessing that if uh, Levesque was killed, it probably was in the early morning hours. So they could, depending on where this wedding took place, if it was a local wedding, they could say, you know, he after the wedding was over, he'd went out and committed this murder the
1: fact that they mentioned it must mean that when she was murdered and the wedding took place at the same time because they wouldn't have included it otherwise
2: that's a good point point. and the other thing too is when the new trial was uh, when they were trying to get the new t- trial in 2004 i don't think they knew if the filmmakers are correct on this they said that they found out that malte's was bailed out the day before yeah. Marsden was killed, whereas before it was always thought that he was in jail. Mm-hmm. So that's a significant... All you need to do is create reasonable doubt Correct. in the mind of a jury. And if, if they could prove that Maltese was out of jail in time to have committed the Karen Marsden murder, that should be enough to create enough reasonable doubt that they could overturn the Drew conviction.
1: I thought it was very interesting that Robin Murphy claimed at the end of this documentary that she had no idea that Maltese was out of jail and bailed out.
2: That's, that's baloney. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't, buy, I don't believe a single well, word believe, that she yeah, says. You can't
0: believe anything she says. Uh, I did say in my review of it that I wrote up for um, for WBSM.com mm-hmm. that I felt bad for her, that I felt more sympathy for her and Carl Drew as a result of this. I, now, don't in any way think that that means that I think that they're, you know, angels in any of this at all, but I do have a bit of an understanding of, you know, where she's coming from, like kind of why she might have been the way that she was seeing what Maltese did to her and how that scarred her and you know also seeing that Drew was not this criminal master. I mean I'd always heard that he was not a criminal master. And Carl I know you're probably listening to the show because you do and I'm not trying to insult you in any way but you know not going to believe that you're this criminal mastermind after after watching this whole thing the-
1: Well he can't be offended by that because we're basically saying that we believe yeah. that he's telling the truth. Right.
0: Um, which he's been trying to get us to talk about on this show for years. Uh, so the... It
1: would be fascinating to interview him.
0: Um, the, so that's what happened years and years ago is he wanted to come on the show and we didn't want to discuss it. Uh, he had reached out through a third party who was a fan of us and also somebody who had been communicating with him. And uh, and he had revealed to this person that he had a radio in a cell and he listened to us on Saturday nights and then he wanted us to take up his case. Um, but...
2: I mean... Your signal reaches all the way to Shirley? That was years ago. This is what I was told.
0: This is what I was told. Uh, And I think maybe on a, you know, a nice cold winter's Saturday night with a clear sky, maybe. Uh, But uh, anyway, he sent a letter to us through this person. So,
2: I mean, he's aware of who we are one way or the other. So here's one thing um, about the whole... Thing with Mar. So Marsden supposedly told Paul Fitzgerald that Carl Drew killed Doreen Levesque. Marsden, if you remember in the documentary, Marsden's ex-husband was mm-hmm. there was a footage of him being interviewed by the police where he also says that she told him that Carl Drew killed Doreen Levesque. So
1: she told quite a few people. Is
2: it possible <laughs> that maybe maybe Carl Drew did kill Doreen Levesque, or Robin Murphy and and Maltese intimidated? Marsden to the point where she was Outing Carl Drew as the killer Sure, that's
0: entirely possible. I mean,
2: uh, th- it, Did Marsden have a reason to get Drew off the streets If he really was her rival and they hated each other As much as she everybody admitted, says that they did
1: um, I don't remember what parole hearing it was But she admitted that people Like Maltese and Drew deserved to be in jail And she was going to do whatever it took And say whatever it took in order to get them Behind bars because they were just bad men And she had this thing against bad men And I can understand why she felt like that about Maltese, because he was horrific to her for years. The connection between her and Drew does not make sense. The connection between why she hates him so much makes no sense. Like, Carl Drew went out on, you know, publicly and said, like, I've never even dealt with her. I don't I don't even care. You know, what what was the big deal? What what is it that he had or what is it that he did that was so offensive to her
0: the entire mythology of carl drew could have been concocted by her Mm -hmm. you know every every bit of it you know you hear all these police officers talk about in in the documentary about how you know there was all this talk about how he was the leader of a satanic cult it could have all come from her she could have been the one putting all this into the girls mouths i mean even the ones that are talking about I've been there and I've seen it for myself doesn't mean that they were telling the truth, you know, and it doesn't mean and I'm not trying to say that, um, you know, that because they were prostitutes, you can't take their word for anything, especially when you look at the real circumstances of uh, let, me, let me put it to you this way. When I was a kid and I was hearing about these cases and these crimes that involved prostitutes, my perspective on what a prostitute was is very different than that it is now. You know, when I realize, like exactly who we're talking about, you know, late teenage girls that are being forced into the situation. You know, here you have people that are probably just going to say whatever they need to say to save their own asses. And if they're hearing this street legend of Carl Drew, you know, it's that's information that they're going to want to give to the police to get the police to stay off their backs. And it's entirely possible that this whole mythology was created And disperse because when you think about it, it's kind of ridiculous, and it's kind of taking advantage of the situation of the time of the satanic panic and saying, like, we can take whatever it is that we're hearing in the news, apply it to this guy, and then get him
2: out of the way. Well, there is, I don't know if you, have you read uh, Mortal Remains? A long time ago. There is a, a part in the book where uh, I think it was uh, Carrie and uh, the de- former detectives Paul Carrie and Alan Sylvia went to talk to Drew, and they made Drew show him his tattoos, and Drew supposedly had a tattoo of the devil on his arm so? and on his chest, but they a- according to the book, they asked him what's with the tattoo, and Drew said, I worship the devil.
0: But also- I want to take a little bit of a step back here. When was that book published?
2: Oh, God, I don't know. I have no idea. I think it was in the 90s. I th-
0: I want to say it was either late 80s or early 90s. Let me look it up real fast so I know what I'm talking about.
1: Well, while you do that, you know, it's kind of like when people show up to your doorstep to try to convert you to their religion. And... The running joke is always, I'm going to tell him something crazy, like, I'm a witch, or I believe in witchcraft, or I believe in the devil, or I worship the devil. Like, he could have just been facetious. And sure, like, that's you know, entirely possible.
2: Like, get
0: so, off my back.
1: Right. I worship the devil. That's a good point.
0: 1991 okay. was when this book, when Mortal Remains was published. And at the time, that was certainly the height of a it. selling point for a book like that. Yeah. And also, you know this because- You've read other true crime books of that era; they're not always completely factually based.
2: No, it, well, Mortal Remains reads like uh, there are. Art, the, he did take artistic liberties with with some of that stuff. You know, it reads more like a like a fictional novel than than a than a factual thing in, in certain places.
0: And and Scammell had a lot to be invested in with that story, so there is the, the there are those clips in the docu series of. Uh, the boyfriend of one of the victims. I think it was Marzen's boyfriend, right?
2: Yeah, Mar- Marzen's ex-husband. The, and so, the one that's in the police interview. Yeah, yeah. and
0: he's talking about he Carl Drew retired. and, and yeah. some of that yeah. stuff.
2: And he says, Mar- Karen told me that Carl Drew killed Doreen Levesque. Yep.
0: So, like, I do believe that that was probably something that was coming out of her. And so might have <laughs> been some of this this satanic cult stuff.
2: Yeah, she claimed that, yeah, Carl Drew took her to a hotel and did, like drip blood on her and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: But think about how many people of ill repute in 1979 and 1980 had tattoos of the devil. Oh, totally. You walked into the tattoo shop and it was on the wall and you pointed at it and said, that looks badass, I'll take that one. So, you know, and then you can concoct a story about it around that, you know? How many people out there have a tattoo that they just got because it looked cool and then they create a story around it afterwards? Yeah. So... I think that's, you know, kind of some flimsy evidence to say, here's a guy who worshiped the devil. We don't have a lot of, at least not presented in in this Uh, in any way, evidence of people who came forth and said that they took part in actual cult activity with him. They talk about being forced to be there when he does it, but there's nobody that's like, we were also part of this willingly. And I think you would need somebody to kind of... Not only Verify that. How about that.
1: A, a freaking search warrant? Search his house for any type of paraphernalia that he's he's killing people or he's worshiping the devil. Follow him into the woods and see where he goes. But there was none of that. Well,
0: I mean, nothing. if you ask if you ask Alan Alves, there's there's signs of that out in the woods. So
2: it doesn't mean that he was associated with it, but it has so here's a here's a question: Do you think that Maltese killed Barbara Raposo?
0: Yeah.
1: I uh, I think that there was reason to kill her uh, based on the story in the documentary, for sure.
2: That he was pissed off at her, that she was with another dude?
1: Right, because they were supposedly romantically involved. Wasn't she pregnant?
2: I'm not sure about that, but maybe.
1: I think that's what they, they tried to throw out there. Um, so she was supposedly going to leave. He was mad. Um the weird part to me in this whole thing and the reason why I can't say no, he didn't do it was the dream he had.
2: So that's what I wanted to get to. I wouldn't have thought anything of that, but have well, you guys seen... Oh, so,
0: so I would say set it up for the listeners. Cause. So
2: Maltese was an odd duck. He put himself on the police radar by going to the police with claiming to have information about, I think, a few of these. Uh, yeah. the, the Levesque murder. and uh, He had taken, if you read the book... He showed up at the Massachusetts State Police with Karen Marsden and Robin Murphy, mm-hmm. bringing them there to say that they had information about the Doreen Levesque murder. Drew was not involved in that at all. He right. took these two girls there. Nothing really came out of that meeting. And, but why is
1: the pedophile bringing
2: Well, yeah. Girls and there? then so then he starts going to the police and talking to them about the Barbara Raposo case and trying to, quote unquote, help the police solve this thing. <laughs> And supposedly Alan Sylvia claimed that he had like psychic abilities and Maltese like latched onto that. And then Maltese started claiming he was having a vision of floating above this crime scene and seeing what happened to her. And supposedly he was like right on the money with everything and then took them out to the crime scene and pointed to the spot. And it was like too perfect. So he knew too much. And that's why he got charged with her and convicted of her murder. But you know, after seeing things like Making a Murderer and, and things like that, with like that Brendan Dassey, did you guys see the Making I, a Murderer? I, did not. I started no. watching okay. it well, and they
1: stopped. It's, you,
2: there's no recording of the Maltese interrogation, even though all those things are supposed to be recorded. The police can be very suggestive and lead you mm-hmm. in an interview. And it's very possible... That he was led into saying that we don't know what we, we don't have a copy. If they want us, if they, if the, if if law enforcement has nothing to hide with total transparency, if there was a recording of that tra- uh, of that interrogation, and I don't know if they did that back then, they should release that so that it can be definitively known that he was not led into saying the well, things I mean, that he they said. They had
0: well, witness interviews that were recorded, correct, so it's from the same it's, timeline. So they so had it's to. An, it's, well, it's it's well, I think that interview with um,
2: Karen Marsden's ex-husband was done years later. Okay. I'm not sure if in 1979 if they were recording interrogations oh. or not. I'm sure there's audio at least. Of but it. you can lead a you can lead somebody. You know what I mean? That's sure. that, That's there's a lot of true crime documentaries out there where you see how and it's what
0: defense it's, defenses jump onto all the time. Yeah, right. so
2: I'm not. Into- I, you know, Robin Murphy was a very manipulative person. Maybe she manipulated him into inserting himself into the story somehow. I, I, it's it's very strange. It, either here's here's the deal. I think he's a weird as, dude. Either, either Maltese and Murphy committed all three together, or Murphy committed all three by herself, and implicated the other two guys in it to get them both out of the picture. I don't think that. I I, I don't think that Maltese, Murphy, and Drew were all involved in all three. The, it just. The, it, I and the thing that's annoying is so Drew's trial trial takes place in Fitchburg. Those people must have been living under rocks. And not knowing anything, because how can you go into that trial knowing that there were three murders that law enforcement is all, was saying that were, we're all connected, and a, a guy completely different from the guy that you, that's on trial in front of you was convicted in the second one? How does that not come into question?
1: None of it did, and I think that they were just not used to dealing with, like, murders back then like this, but then serial murders that could—you know, look at, look at the highway murders. Look at how bad that was botched, too. So— same DA, same area. Like this, it's it's it was an issue. And you know, Tim and I were discussing other places that we've had to go for the past week, and how badly those murders were botched as well. I just don't think that they could deal with that at the time. Um, but I do think that it leads more and more to Carl Drew being not involved at all. He was just a threat to Robin Murphy for whatever reason we don't know. But I also have a hard time believing that Robin Murphy, the 17-year-old kid being through what she was going through, raising herself, you know, the abuse, what have you, how do you still become a 17-year-old kid who's a mastermind in manipulating people, murdering people, and then running a prostitution rink?
0: I couldn't
1: do that at 17.
0: We have a phone call uh, on the line, and I think it might be coming in from Fall River, so let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're on Spooky South
3: Coast. Hello. Hi. I'm calling from uh, Dartmouth, Mass. Okay, okay. Uh, my sister, uh, Karen, had passed away uh, on the 19th of April. And I just talked to her the night before, and um, I was going down there to visit her like I did. She was she in Wayham, And, um, you know, I she said, okay. She goes, uh, well, don't come down unless, you know, don't say anything. I'll be losing so much weight and all that stuff. And I don't know why she lost so much weight, and then all of a sudden she... The next day, she passed away in the morning. And then they had the um, the ambulance come get her, and this was really rotten. Um, they, um, uh, the ambulance came and got her, and, and they said, well, she, had, she um, always had the um, special needs adults living with her. And she, that's what her job was and all that. And they said, well, oh, my God, all the pills on the table. But the pills were in a box and a and key. And, um, she, and she was like, um, she, I, she just, she passed away right there. And, um, they treated her like a piece of shit.
0: Well, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, so do you, do you, do you have a, a question or something that you're wondering about
3: it? Yeah. I want to, I want to know why that no one did anything about it. We called the Boston area and, um, we called, um, down that area with the, um, well, it's not a ghost thing, but I mean, it's like, a. She um had cancer at fourteen years old. She couldn't adopt any she couldn't have any children, but she adopted five children, foster children and all that and um
0: So you, and then, you, you you talked to you said that you reached out to who?
3: Well, my brother called up um <clears throat> to find out why that the um they uh they oh it just gets me so upset because um when the animals came together she had the uh, pills on the table all in the lock and key and they thought she was on drugs and uh but my sister she um she passed away right they wouldn't even take her into the ambulance. They just took her out. They thought she was taking those pills. And I think it's terrible.
0: Yeah, I mean I and don't that, I don't even know who you would wanna to speak to about that perhaps. Uh, you said well, this happened yeah, in,
3: in called Boston and everything and um they said and my brother called up and they didn't do anything about it.
1: They might I mean, not have uh, been able to.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I. I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't I know how do to. do it? I don't. I don't know.
1: We don't know the circumstances, so I don't think that we could. Well, she never did drugs. no, no. I understand that. Um, actually, she had cancer. Right. Right. I understand that. she was that. younger. Um, yeah. but when it comes to protocol, they have to follow a specific protocol in the state of Massachusetts. So if they did not yeah. break that protocol, then they wouldn't be able to do anything. But I don't. I mean, I don't know who you would call. We're definitely not medical professionals here for sure. Yeah,
3: yeah so, I know. I, I, know. Wish... I listen to it every night. I listen to this every night. My brother Jim writes books about this stuff, and I don't know if you Jim Riley.
0: No, I don't think so. No.
3: Yeah, he he writes um those books and stuff like that. Like you're doing now, and um, but um, yeah, yeah. I, uh,
0: I mean, I would, I would, you know, I would say maybe somebody's listening, and, uh, and if they have any way to help you, they can call in and and make a suggestion. But thank you for calling in and sharing, and I'm I'm sorry for your yeah, loss. Well,
3: she died for that, yeah.
0: I'm sorry, very sorry um, to hear that.
3: Thank you so much. All
0: right, have bye. a good night. You too, bye. And uh and yeah, I, I know that there was a a bad word, but she got emotional, so I, no. I gave her the benefit of the doubt on that. Um, generally, though, I'm supposed to drop it after that word, but.
2: Right. Nobody heard it. I oh, gave it, g- heard it. You know, I just know yeah. she
0: was she was emotional in that situation. Uh just, you know, going back to the Fall River case, uh, you know, here we are looking at this the end of this docuseries, and not to ruin it for you, but um, you know, it, it does end with them saying that the Innocence Project has taken up Carl Drew's case and is looking to get him uh a new trial. What do you think happens? If that does take place, let's say that there is another trial. Let's say that they are able to corroborate his story that he wasn't, he couldn't have been involved in the Doreen Levesque murder. And let's, I mean, even let's just say that he gets off and they say, okay, you know, we're we're throwing out this conviction and you're now a free man. What can they do at that point? To, you know, understand, you know, we already talked about, like, what they can do for him. But what happens to try to get justice to solve this case now? Because you can't retry Andre Malte's for it.
2: Well. He's dead. You could. So here's the the thing. Levesque Levesque was a fresh body. She wasn't out there for very long. If that evidence was properly preserved, you would Mm -hmm. think that somebody left something behind. In such a brutal homicide. And that's another big question. It's like, what's the deal with all these unsolved homicides as far as DNA goes, if the evidence was properly preserved, now granted in 1979, they had no idea what DNA evidence was. The The cops didn't know what it was and the perpetrators didn't know what it was. So they were leaving a lot behind. They didn't know there was going to be some magic bullet that came along in the early nineties that could potentially nail, nail them. So something was left behind, especially with the Levesque murder. So is that evident, was that evidence not properly preserved? Because they can go back to that evidence now and use like the MVAC technology and all sorts of stuff like that to try to find a DNA profile of the person who killed her. So then you could retroactively maybe prove that Maltese did it.
1: I mean, even something as simple as like the the DNA of the origin of where the person's from or their race, that could ultimately either implicate him or completely exonerate him even if you couldn't get a ton from it um you can't tell me that if their head was bashed in with a rock did the person take the rock home with them like it had to have well, been nearby
2: uh, yeah and I, I believe that she had also been sexually assaulted too Correct. so i don't understand and even 10 years later with not even the highway murders. There's four other homicides in New Bedford that took place before the highway murders that I have suspicions were connected to the highway murders where those victims weren't out in the woods for months at a time. Right. It's like, what's the status with them? Was it that the evidence wasn't properly preserved, that they can't test anything? Mm-hmm. Is, and is that what was happening across the board here on the South Coast between 1979 and 1988? What, what, what's, what was going on? Why is that? Why is that so hush-hush?
1: Um, I mean, I could sit here and probably give you at least three reasons off the top of my head, but I'm not sure if I can talk about that on the radio. <laughs> and I know you're probably thinking the exact same thing.
2: It's Yeah, it, it, the, the DNA thing, I mean, it, with Barbara Posa, she was out there for a couple months, so maybe not with her, but Levesque, you would think whoever killed her yeah. left something behind.
1: Right, and the fact that Karen Marsden's body is still in the wind.
2: Is yeah, that, that would be impossible, the Marsden one. Well,
0: I, I, I know strange. that we are we are just about... Out of time. Uh, I do want to go just a couple minutes late because I want to ask you each about something. Uh, but before I do that, let me just fire off something that I legally have to play.
3: New Bedford's News Talk Station. 1420. New Bedford's, Bedford's News Talk station. station. 1420 WBSM. New Bedford. A town square media, media station. station.
0: Okay, now we're all illegal. Uh, I just want to <laughs> ask you in the final few moments here. Completely different, going back to the highway murders that we had discussed before. But uh, I saw this come across social media earlier this week. I know I shared it with each of you. Um, well, maybe I didn't share it with you, Stephanie. I know I shared it with Aaron. I was just going
1: to say, I think you left me out. Carry on.
0: So there's this company that is advertising an outdoor detective murder mystery. It's coming up on October, October 2nd, 2021, here in New Bedford. You buy a team ticket for two to six players, so you can have up to six people on your team, but you need at least two, and it's $52 to take part, and it's called The Ripper. And the way it is described is, do you think you have what it takes to catch a killer? Clued Up, which is the name of the company, is an exciting outdoor detective adventure, and it's coming to New Bedford, Mass. on Saturday, the 2nd of October, 2021. Okay, so what is this citywide crime-solving experience that they're describing? Three men have already been struck down by the Ripper and fear is taking its grip on New Bedford. The police can't cope with a case this complex and your help is needed to catch the killer. Do you think what it has do you think you have what it takes, Detective? Grab your team and dig out your warrant cards. It's up to you to crack the case. I saw this. Now they did something similar last year or, or the year before in Providence. I saw it come mm-hmm. up in my, my social media feeds about that. My question about this is is this in bad taste to have an event in which you're trying to catch a serial killer in a city in which there is an unsolved serial killer case?
1: I like how you're both looking at me. Well, <laughs> I know what, I know what Aaron thinks. Ladies
2: first. That's it. Um,
1: my first question is: Did Aaron set this up to help solve the murders of everything he's researching right now? Um, but you said men, men. So yes, it is. It is different. not connected um, to the
0: murders themselves.
1: I think number one. Yes, we dealt with serial murders for sure in this area in New Bedford itself. Not only that, how many cold cases do we have? Period. Um, In the history of New Bedford, there's
0: probably cold cases in every city that they put one of these events on in, but not, but not a serial killer. Yeah, a serial
2: serial killer. That's Um, one of the more well-known unsolved serial murder cases in the history of the country.
1: I think they probably their intention is not bad.
2: I are mean, from the UK right you Yeah said- I did a little
0: digging It looks like they're from the UK They probably have no idea that there is,
1: you think they'd research, and I mean, uns- Google is a thing. You only have
0: to put New Bedford serial killer into Google. But like, <laughs> and
1: my question is, what is so alluring about New Bedford that they want to put it here? Why not like a major metro area? I think like they Boston do. I think Providence. they do it in
0: a lot of different places. But like
1: New Bedford's really random.
0: They did Providence, so they probably just figured like here's another it's city del- in the area, really
2: and they call it what the New Bedford Ripper, the New Bedford Ripper, and, which yeah. is kind of tough too because there were efforts to connect the New Bedford Highway murders to the Lisbon Ripper over in Portugal. So there's that element it but not a lot of people even know that. So I don't right. think that's a big deal. I think it was it's just a an unfortunate coincidence. I don't think there was any harm intended. But
1: it's that being said...
2: It's definitely cringeworthy. They
0: probably had no idea. We give them that benefit of the doubt. But I've reached out to them. I haven't heard back yet. Say I get somebody on the phone and I say to them, well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but New Bedford is a city in which we have a 30-plus-year-old unsolved string of murders in which it was probably one serial killer killing all these women, then what do you do if you are the company, if you are the clued up company? What do you do when somebody tells you you're bringing this product to a city where there are still fresh wounds as a result of this and family members who are, you know,
2: aware that you were doing this? I would say move it down the road to Fall River, but that's like we discussed, yeah, not much, much of a better option. Right. Taunton?
1: I think both places are highly dangerous to be having people running amok at night doing this. Anyway, I don't think it's during the day. <clears throat> oh, is it? Oh, yeah, that's, that's good.
0: Um, so you would think that uh, it would be better if they put it into. I mean, at least they changed it to men. Since yeah, Jack I, the I, I uh, well, I don't think, I, yeah, I, I think that it was probably the same storyline that they use in every place that they put it on.
1: Right, but they're from the UK, and Jack the Ripper's victims were women, so they but did then, change it.
0: Well, I know, uh, but I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, I, I, think like, they're going to do, use this same story no matter where they go. They have one in London too.
2: Mm-hmm. So, is this in any more poor taste than the new owners of the Lizzie Borden House potentially well, having axe throwing in the basement? Is that's it because a, that's such an old case that that's, that's okay now? No,
0: that's a fair point.
1: That was going to be my next point. I'm sorry. Like, no, no, that's I didn't fine. Steal your
2: point.
0: <laughs> we've
1: just been. Picking we up also on your think point. that
0: that's terrible. At least I do.
1: Right, but is has this macabre morbid like weird new true crime era that we're living in right now becomes so overly socialized all over the internet and amongst people that we just kind of losing sense of the fact that like people were involved like actual living breathing had families still have families people involved
0: so i put this question out in a couple of different ways i put it out on my own social media and I got back a few people who said they thought that it was tasteless.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and and a few people who have said like enough time has passed and it's not, the, it's not the picking up the same story. So it's okay. I shared it in a couple of groups that are related to the highway murders, uh, which Aaron is well aware of the people that comprise these groups, who they are. A lot of them are victims of the families and, and people who have followed this case for a number of years. And surprisingly, There was only like maybe one comment in those groups where somebody said, like, no, this is bad. Everybody else was kind of like, you know, it's not the same thing. Like, I'm not that, you know, I don't feel like it's that bad. So I I think if
1: they have used like actual um, or even parallel or similar information to the highway murders, I would for sure be aggravated by it. They, it does look different. So it just kind of looks like, almost like, uh, what are those things, like escape rooms? Yeah. So, you know,
0: uh, I, right, that's basically that's, that's what I'm really the idea of to. what it is, yeah. I probably
2: would give him a pass. I don't think it's, it's not like, there's a rock group that did a song called The New Bedford Highway Killer and how he leaves his victims on the side of the road and they wrote a whole song about it, which I think was.
0: Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I think somebody could fairly ask the same question to say, well, isn't Aaron making a documentary about it? Just as much of a kind of profiteering off it, you know. Not that you you yeah, haven't same... yet, <laughs> right? Say <laughs> so not that you're going to profit off of it. This, this this guy's running up a bill, uh, in no, just, the, just time... the amount of time he spent on it. But same thing with you know Maureen's book, where somebody says, you know, isn't that commercialization of the murders to do that?
1: I can't speak for Maureen because I haven't read the book and I don't know, but I can speak for Aaron because I do know him. But I would say that your intention with making this documentary is, number one, the fascination that nothing's ever been done with it, and two, getting the story out there in a way that is getting justice for these girls right. that have been and killed. And, of, yeah, course, I mean,
0: neither, of course, neither thing is commercialization. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, that is no, the yeah, argument No, yeah, right. a good argument. It's a good argument.
2: Where do you draw the line, basically, is the argument.
0: Well, right. and I think fact-based things like documentaries and books mm-hmm. are certainly... You know, they're kind of—it's almost like a service to do so. Like you, you ha- somebody has to do it.
2: Well, I mean, if, if without you know, if a certain way, you could say nobody should ever write a movie. Uh, Make a movie or write a book about any kind of Tragedy that involved the loss of human life So you'd have like no books about the second world war You'd have no books you know what I mean like It would just be like it would be a very limited selection Of things to watch and read
0: Like people talk about being a civil war buff Like it's like a fun thing to do And to go out and dress up and reenact The civil war battles and it's like well That's like saying well you're making fun of Somebody being murdered so that's the point Somebody brought up with it when it comes to this is Like how is this even if it was about the highway murders and it's not but even if it was how would that be wrong but a civil war reenactment is okay
1: like somebody could argue that what you and i did last week crossing oh totally
0: exploitative sure
1: like 110 percent
2: i have a lizzie borden bloody lizzie borden with an axe in my yard at halloween time
1: and it's not surprising
2: like just us going there and doing the things that we've done in that house. Like,
0: you know, here we are being critical of the things that they're doing uh, or the things that they have planned to do at that house. And somebody brought up that same point. Well, if you think that it's wrong for Lance Zoll to hold axe throwing uh, in the parking lot and to, you know, have murder mystery parties and all this other stuff, how is that?
1: My mm. argument for that is oh. somebody already died by axe there. Why are you going to implement you know the the use of axes? Yeah, well? but
0: then why why is you going there and charging people money to go look for the ghosts of them not being exploitative too? And it's a fair point because you can say that it is, especially if you're somebody that doesn't believe. Then of of course it's a totally exploitative thing. So it is kind of a, a fair thing. Now my issue with with the axe throwing and the things that they have planned there isn't so much of it being exploitative to the murders because, like, let's face it, everything that's happened there is exploitative to the murders. Running as a bed and breakfast is probably exploitative to the murders, but my issue is is it's going away from traditionally the way that things it's have been handled there with the respect factor that's right. been involved in it. There's a difference when you're doing things in short. It might be capitalizing on the murders in some way, but it's also, you know fully respectful of what happened there and this doesn't seem like that. that
1: weird like we have to be involved in this this morbid situation like we have to go visit a house where people were murdered like i think that's bizarre i could probably name four places across the country right now where i think it's freaking weird like and i i have this argument all the time why are you going to said location to connect with whatever's there like why does it make sense to be like, ooh, in a sane asylum where people were freaking tortured and they were screaming for their lives, let's go connect with their ghosts. Why? What, like What is the point? What I do is to give a voice to the dead. What I do is to go in and try to figure out what happened, find missing pieces of information, find missing pieces of history, connect different things, but to sit in a dark room and be like, hello, we're here. With a recorder. See that light? Make it jump. Make it change. Oh, by the way, do you know that you're dead? Like, what is the point? Like Adrenaline. These, it's just, it's what it is, it's, it's the thrill of it, and it's a fun thing to do for these people. They're not out there for science. They're not trying to help. They might think that they are, but they're just, they're lying to themselves. And I will go out there and say that and come at me. I don't care. But well, it's the same thing. Like, it, it's all an issue.
0: Believe me, I, I, I still want to have uh Lansall on the program. Uh-huh. And that can be a discussion that we have with him, you know, within the limited scope of what he does, but also what he does outside of the Lizzie Boyden house with his U.S. Coast Adventures company. And but, you know, also like we have to be fair. That can get turned back on us. So and I'm, you know, I'm fully open to having that discussion because in in a way it can be turned back on us. You know, just going there. See, we do a lot of fundraisers that are for Historic Haunted Places. Right. We're doing it, of course, we make money off of it ourselves because what we're spending our time doing it and promoting it and all that. And our money. But we're giving back, you know, money to the location. We're helping them with their fundraisers as part of that. And people can look at that and say, you know, that's capitalizing on what went on there. But we also have kind of an unwritten rule too about a certain amount of time that's passed. You know, when we first started this show in 2004, Six, uh not long after we started, Moniz and I had the opportunity to go down to New York City and to investigate Ground Zero. Somebody was going to have us go down there after hours and be able to conduct a paranormal investigation of the remains of the Twin Tower before they started building, you know, the the the, the memorial, the full memorial that was there, and you know, we turned it down because we said it's just. No, it's inappropriate to go and do that.
1: But to go there and do something like what I do is beneficial to any spirits that are left there. Some, it's but, just but some different. people might
0: some people might not feel that way.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, permission of the families is a huge thing, too. Um, but people don't think that way.
0: But our, I mean, our argument with it, for our perspective of it, was it's just too fresh. Right. I mean, somebody might do that 100 years from now. But right now, it's too fresh to do. And we've actually gone to places where, yeah, we've got ghosts here from the 1800s. Go and talk to them. But there's also a guest here from somebody who killed themselves in the 1990s, yep. and their family is still around, and we'd prefer that you didn't talk about it.
1: We've had that discussion plenty of times. Yep. I'm going to still go on record by saying whatever Lance Zoll does with the Lizzie Borden house, the reason people are aggravated at it and the reason people are really mad about it is because they might not get in there. And be able to do the things that they used to do, just like they did when Leanne owned it. Well, I think that that is a huge problem within the paranormal community. They're not going to have free reign like they had before. I've and also are changing.
0: I've seen the other side of it, where I've seen people be overly like okay with everything. Yeah. Where I I think it goes against what I would expect them to be. Right. Because they think that if they're positive, it's going to help them out, and they're going to like. Oh, yeah. They're going to be
1: the, the new team that gets in there and You're does whatever like, yeah. they want. And, it's an
0: opportunity. Uh, and it's not going to be that way. Nobody's getting in there for free.
1: Nobody's getting in there, period, to do anything because he's running ghost hunts every single night. But I will say the one problem that I have with all, and I will 100% love to have a conversation with him about it, is do not go to Hawaii and go on a native Hawaiians tour and steal his entire tour. That he uses about his own culture and then turn around and use it for you, your U.S. Ghost Adventures tour. Word so for word.
0: not not exactly uh, the first time I've heard that happening in some other places. So I'd like to I'd like to get some answers about that, too. I think the bailout on that and this is speculation on my part. I don't know anything about it, but speculation is he's probably hiring somebody else to write the tours. And somebody else wrong. probably stole the tour and he doesn't know, he might not know
2: well, give that the somebody stole the tour, stole them. the
0: tour, I should say, as I'm stumbling to get my words out. But I also think if you own a tour company, you should probably go on every other tour mm-hmm. that's happening in that city and just see what they're doing so that you know that you're not copying it. Especially if somebody else is writing it for you, like plagiarism is plagiarism. And you don't want to have anybody working for you that's plagiarized. So
1: But especially in a place like that where it's an it's an island with its own natives. It, it's a complete and total bubble with its own culture. And you're gonna appropriate the culture of those people. Keep it's in disgusting. mind
0: the other side of the argument for some people is so what? If the story's out there, we can use it. So keep that in mind. I mean, I'm not saying I, I agree care. with it, but that's kind of the that's kind of the other side of it. The other side of it is if it's out there, if somebody's done it, we can use it. We I saw it happen this week when somebody was making a YouTube video. Uh, somebody put out a YouTube video of the story of Claire the doll. And they, it was basically a person reading ghost stories mm-hmm. uh, for a 15-hour YouTube video. And she basically read Jill's entire Reddit post about the doll mm-hmm. and read it word for word. And just put herself in Jill's shoes and appropriated that story for herself to monetize on YouTube and, that should and to be make money.
1: Credit back to the original poster, always a hundred percent. But I think in the world that we live in today, where everybody is so, so, so much in an uproar about culture and race and and equality for but,
0: all. But we're talking about something that comes outside of the realm of that because it falls under the realm of legend. And for some reason, we we don't put legend with that same level of responsibility. We allow legend to to be stolen and appropriated because it is legend and 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 I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that it's traditionally been what we've done. So if you put a story out there and it becomes part of the the legend of a place, you don't have any ownership of that story anymore and it's a hard thing for me to to try to come to grips with, but you know, was it I think it was you that said, "Who was it you that asked me if I had the shadow experience in War Memorial Park?" And you sent me the video of the girl that was talking about it? No, not me. Who was it that sent it to I me then?
1: That. I think the part that maybe you're missing in, in my point, and maybe it's my fault, is if you go there and you hear this tour and you understand the culture, it's 100% different than what you're throwing back at me right now. And, um, I'm, I, and it's freaking midnight, and I don't know how to even get it back to you. I there. actually
0: think you're being too emotionally attached to it because you've That's connected not. with the culture. I think if it was- I
1: still think you're wrong. I'm going be honest with you.
0: I'm not- taking a position one way or the other. I'm just saying what the different argument's for. Right.
1: It. But I think um, that, that argument's wrong, especially where here, like if that were to happen next door with, but, a, with a Native American.
0: But like, you go out and everything. tell Native American stories all I the time. I don't though. But you do. I don't. But you do. How? You do tell Native American stories. No, when I don't. When we're talking about the things that have happened in this area, we're sharing Native American stories.
1: We tell stories of what's happened here in written history. I'm talking about stories that have been passed down through generation generation of a specific family that is not known to anybody else. just
0: want to make sure we don't get cut off by the computers as, as we're arguing. like that. Then you're just going to say that I cut you off with the computer to... Yeah, that's to right. Win I'll probably
1: throw this box at your face and walk home.
0: No, but, I'm, I'm, but. What, what I'm saying is like it, it does become part of it where... It is going to get wrapped up. I think that it's wrong. I totally think that it's wrong. But I'm just saying, like, that's the argument that people are going to make. Once it becomes a legend, you can't hold on to it anymore. I think it sucks, and I think that it shouldn't be that way. Uh, And I think it doesn't kill somebody to just add in a little bit of something that maybe maybe you are going to include a story on the tour, but you say, like, this story comes from, it's a different situation if it's coming directly from another tour. Like, I'm not defending that in any way. Like, and that happens far too often where somebody comes into a city, starts doing a ghost tour, and just steals somebody else's tour completely. That's totally wrong. But if you're going to go into a tour, like, let's say you're the first person to ever go into a city and create a tour. Uh, You know, like, let's say you were going to make a new Bedford tour. Mm -hmm. Then when you're going around telling those stories for the first time, unless they happen to you directly then you would credit the people that they happened to. Now, in the stories that you're talking about, the tour that you're discussing, you know, the the real original tour, Mm -hmm. was all researched by that person. So I would look at that situation and say, you know what? This city's covered. Somebody already does a great job here. I'm just going to go somewhere else and do a different tour instead. Like the fact that somebody even bothered to create a tour when there's already a... First person tour like that I can't even wrap my head around Why you think that that's okay to do
1: It doesn't make sense because The one person I'm talking about that got their tour Stolen is the original Ghost tour person of that location Who
0: researched all of this themselves Or had things happen to them The
1: person that started that entire tour It's a lot of his personal stories It's a lot of his personal experiences It's a lot of his complete research The person that I'm talking about That was his mentor and he's, he's long dead now. But going forward, a lot of this person that I know's personal family stories and different things that are should only be discussed by a Native culture are... It's like, you know, the, the tattoos I have on me. You can't just walk in and be like, hi, I want this. It's disrespectful. But done by a Native Hawaiian, it's different. the same but- thing as a Native you know native americans here we have we've had an argument over everything for the last entire year over black versus white you know and don't do this and don't do that because that's not right in the witchcraft community don't use sage because that's a closed practice don't do this because that's a closed practice oh, I don't know anything oh like no that. no it's it, it spans beyond probably what you're even aware of where you can no longer do anything because I, it's I appropriating yeah, i don't know culture. what you're talking about
0: when you say closed practice i don't know what right. you mean
1: well that means that if if like in,
0: you don't sh- like you don't share that with other people.
1: No, you're not supposed to. And okay. You're not supposed to do it at all because it's it's specific to. I'm just saying. Culture. I'm just saying. I
0: don't know what the terminology was that you were um, using.
1: So when it comes, like that's what I said, like sage. You could probably go to a store here, local, and buy sage, and burn it, right? Because the the idea is you just burn sage to cleanse an area. What they're selling is white sage, which does not cleanse an area. Period. White sage yeah. is a sacred, um, one of the sacred herbs in the Native American medicine wheel that is used for specific ceremonies that have nothing to do with what a bunch of white people are burning it for. I don't I don't
0: burn sage, but my understanding is doesn't it just like clear out the air anyway? No. Like No. Isn't it supposed to be like a placebo effect for some people that you just, you smell the sage burning and you're like, oh, this is great. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm just thinking like a lot of places that sell it probably.
1: No, what they're doing is they're just, they're, they're making money off of something that's just fooling people.
0: Well, and because they've heard about it, like they've heard, oh, you burn sage and it helps. But
1: they never bothered to do the research to figure out exactly what they're supposed to do. So the big argument now is sage is a closed practice. Stop doing it. If you want to burn sage in order to clear an area then you use a different type of sage. And even that they're trying to argue now is a closed practice. Burning other things is a closed practice. And it's getting to the point where people are segregating themselves and separating themselves so much that it's, it's, it's out of control, but oh, we're getting
0: cut off by commercials, but um, sorry to the people on the stream. They can't hear me now because there's a commercial. Should I just stop talking then? No, no, but it's my fault. Cause I didn't stop that block.
1: Um, but either way it's, it's, Everybody dislikes this one and dislikes that one because everything should belong to a certain race or a certain culture. And I think some part of that should be still held sacred. You should go to a Native Hawaiian to learn about Native Hawaiian culture. You should go to a Native American to learn about Native American culture. Sure, we can tell stories that have been shared with us or that are common legend, but those actual stories that are attached to their families should be left that way.
0: Sure. No, I totally agree with that. But also, you know, I think it's fair to say, When you get to a place, like, okay, the Salem people, they get really upset when a new tour comes into town and tells the same stories that are on their tours. Mm -hmm. But there's like 75 tours in Salem. I don't know how many there really is. But there's a lot of tours in Salem that are all telling the same story. So you really can't stop that. That's a different situation Oh, it's than what you're talking different. about
1: Yeah because those stories are the only ones that are in that area and it's going to be the same ones over and over and over again none of those stories are personal to the people that are even telling
0: right. them And and that's so what I'm saying like when something becomes a legend that's what I'm talking about right. Like going to a place like Salem you can't stop you somebody no from telling those stories You
1: know Yeah you I'm know, not you talking I, about
0: personal and, and re- personally research things either
1: Like I could go to Salem right now And tell personal stories in a completely different tour of everything Because but, they're my stories
0: you, you and I know for a fact That there's a tour in Plymouth That our friend runs Who has discovered things mm-hmm. You know that shouldn't become part of somebody else's tour Right And if they do He gets rightly upset mm-hmm. You know because it's personal things That either right. he's researched Or had happened to him And now it becomes a story for somebody else But anyway This is probably a topic worth saving for another show when yes. when most people haven't already, you know, gone to sleep because they thought it was over at midnight and we're keeping Aaron up late. We are. And uh I have
2: no opinion on any of this. I'm we're, just listening.
0: we're totally hopped up on Swedish fish. So we'll we would just go all night with this. Yes. Uh but we will call it a night here. We'll come back next week. Uh and, and I'll reach out to Lance and I'll see if he wants to join us next week. I don't know if he will.
1: He probably
0: won't. Uh definitely, you know, he's done a few media interviews, so maybe he's willing well, to we don't to compare come on. to
1: Fox business. And he's probably too busy walking in circles on the telephone to uh, call into us.
0: I think that's who he was talking to when when we, when been. we saw that. Could have so, been. Anyway, uh, that'll do it for tonight's show. Uh, until next week, we want everybody out there to stay spooktacular.